2024 is the year of podcasts, and we want to let you know about a brand new show that is live right now. Join with me to share the good news about the Worthy of Everything podcast. It's just one of the two hosts, Jaja Lasso. Jaja, you've been working on this podcast in the background. Our team has been very excited as we've been preparing for its launch. How does it feel to know that the episodes finally are out there and we're moving forward every single week? It is so exciting and I am just excited to see where God takes it and I have so much hope that it is going to be an incredible blessing to the listeners. Amen, amen. But as I understand it, this is a show tackling the issues of mental health through the lens of the gospel. Can you share just a little bit more about the heart and the intent and who you're really trying to serve through the Worthy of Everything podcast? So I personally was freed from depression and as I've come to understand my freedom from sin and identity in Christ, I start to recognize all these amazing gifts that God has given us. So yeah, just exploring and hearing awesome testimonies about how to walk out true intimacy with a loving father who pursues his kids. Oh man, sounds like a good time. If you want to check out the show, lovereality.org slash podcasts and look for the Worthy of Everything show. A lot of people don't believe the gospel can change your life. We have evidence it can. Death to Life shares testimonies of radical transformation, stories of people getting freed from and healed from sin, so you can hear, believe, and be transformed by Jesus. This is Death to Life. I think that was one of many points in my life where I kind of branded myself as unlovable. And I was like, whoa, hold the phone. Because if this, if this is it, this changes everything. This, if this makes sense and this is true, then this changes everything. Why are you still coming to me groveling, thinking that you're wretched, if I see you as the person that even, like, even before you left, that's who I saw you to be. I saw you as my son. It was like he basically told me to get up off my knees. And he said, you are a prince. Sit on your throne. Yo, welcome to the Death to Life podcast. My name is Richard Young. This is episode 98. But before we get into this episode, if you've been listening to this podcast and you're hearing these stories of people's lives getting transformed and you want to know like the nitty gritty, you want to get into what it is in the Bible that is saying these things that is causing so much of a transformation, I want to invite you to join one of our Bible studies. We got you covered six days a week. If you want in on these Bible studies, and I suggest that you should get in, just text uh, Bible studies, hashtag Bible studies to 808 204 4372. That's 808 204 4372. You text Bible studies to that number and you're going to get a list of Bible studies that you can sign up for that will send you a link 10 minutes before it goes on. And uh, these Bible studies are held online. And it's really where we see a lot of growth happen. And so I'd love it if you would join us and be a part of one of these Bible studies. I think 
I think you'll grow immensely from the experience. Hey, I'm just adding this the day before uh, we post this episode, but it it hit me. If this is your first or second time listening to the podcast, you've listened to Karen's episode and you're about to listen to to this new one, perhaps you don't know uh, the message behind these stories. And I would encourage you to go to lovereality.org and watch the vlogs and get accustomed to what we're preaching about, uh, freedom from sin in Christ Jesus. Now for today's episode, today's guest is Bees. And Bees is married to Karen from the previous episode. And this dude has been such a testimony to me, uh, the way he operates in complete humility. Uh, I'm just blown away by it. And I think this episode, it's got some heavy stuff in it. Um, So I want to put that out first. I want to make you aware of that. And uh, But let's just get into this. Uh, buckle up, strap in. The next person you'll hear is Bees. Love y'all. Appreciate y'all. When I was three years old, my parents moved from Mauritius to Australia. And we were brought up Roman Catholic. I would say that we were only the big five, <laughs> the big, the major event Catholics. So it was like, uh, what's it called? Easter, Midnight Mass, Palm Sunday, Ash Wednesday, Good Friday, and maybe a few others scattered throughout the year. It was only a sh- small period of early years where we actually did go to church a lot, like every week, but that was because my grandma wanted us to go. So did you uh, have an idea like who God was or, or would you even think about that? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing. I this was like for me my starting point was I knew I believed in God. I believed in a creator. Right? And I called this creator my heavenly father. Why? Because in the Lord's prayer, it says our father who art in heaven, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, right? Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay. So I was taught because I went to Sunday school, you know, I did the th- like the things to learn, but I guess the way that I saw it was my heavenly father wasn't a father. I saw him more as the almighty creator, mm-hmm. right? And it was the, he's created, he's he's watching you do your thing right now. Oh, yeah. And so going back to my Christian experience, it was like, okay, I acknowledge that God created me and I guess he created me a nice guy. And that's where I guess it started. Hmm. But my relationship with God was I knew of him and I knew this story or the stories that were found in the Bible. But this is so long ago that I think for me in my thought process or in my head, it was like my, it's so detached. Like God is so far out there that I'm Mm. just doing my thing. But it was very, you have to pray. You have to do this. It was very three bags foolish to please God. What is a, what's three bags full? What does that mean? Growing up, like we went to church because you had to go to church. Even though I would go there, it would I would it would be boring. Like I'm talking, like <laughs> it'd be boring. The only reason why I think my family enjoyed it is because they were involved and they loved music. So mm-hmm. for for them to be part of that, that was all right. But if you didn't have a responsibility with music, it's just 
like in my opinion for me it was just really boring because when you're young it's like the mass is just so structured that you're just listening you're listening but if everything's going over your head it's just like what am i doing oh it's time for me to kneel okay i'll kneel it's time for me to stand up i'll stand up it's time for me to sit down sit down and so you there was no experience. It was just something that I had to do. And I was like, that will, well, if that keeps me on in the good books of God, then I'll just, then I'll do that. Hmm. So as you become a teenager, when did, or when did, talk to me about when some of these ideas started to change for you about oh, okay, cool. just the ritual or the God is just this creator, but I have no relationship. When did that start to change? I think it it got validated first before it started to change. Oh, no, I'll, I'll put it to you a different way. When I was growing up, this idea of I was a nice guy kind of hit me or it was more solidified because I also started to experience this sense of unworthiness, this hmm. big like kind of – I felt that I wasn't able to rec be recognized by anyone. I felt that I was overlooked. When did know, this start? It started, I would say it started pretty young. It started, like for me, it was one of those things where I guess if I was, when I was growing up, unless you were achieving, you weren't really encouraged. <laughs> and this is, and, and I'll tell you now, right? Like I grew up in, I wouldn't say super strict as in religious strict, but like in regards to education and that kind of strict, yeah. When I was young, my parents expected the best from both me and my sister. And so what my father would do, right? My father was not satisfied with the education system of, of like Australian schooling. So we would go to school, we would get homework, and then my father would go to the library or he would go to the shop, the bookshop, and get basic skills or advanced placement books, like exercise books. And then he would say, okay, once you've done this, like your normal homework, you do exercise two, three thing from this, the geography book, from this math book and from this English book. And then, and this is something that has scarred me for life, right? Because me and my sister, we joke, we joke about it now. And my dad's like, I don't remember. I'm like, you should, because it burned a hole in my brain. Because what would happen was like my dad, like me and my sister would come home from school We'd do our work. We'd do our homework. We'd only have one hour of TV to watch where we can choose it. And then my dad would come home around five or six o'clock. And by that time, it's like you've got to do, have done all your homework. You've done all this kind of stuff. Before bed, we would get quizzed. He would ask us five questions, two math, two English, two math, two spelling, and one geography. And the way that he would ask the question is he would put a timer on us and he'd do this. He'd put a five seconds. He'd ask a question and it's like, I'm in you. I don't know what I was in primary school and no, not even in primary school. I was in you four maybe. And I was learning 12 times 12 timetables. Right. And so he'd go straight off the bat and he'd be like eight times nine. Ding, ding, ding. Ding, like that. And if you didn't get it in time, he'd go like this. Dong, ding, ding. He'd X and he'd go, à la encore. And what that meant was, go learn some more. And so I'd go. You had to study some more. And this is before bed, homie. You know what I'm saying? So my dad. How like, this old were you? Is, I was in primary school. So pff, I don't know what primary school is. Like, like probably 10-ish. Less than that. I remember doing that when I was, yeah. Like it was young, man. And he and doesn't so, remember this. 
He doesn't. He knows. Yeah, right. He, like, he, he, <laughs> he, knows. he knows full well. But he'd be pleading, oh, oh yeah, I remember. Bruh, he knows. Like, <laughs> like, my, like, we knew, like, we would dominate when it came to school in academics because it was like. So nah. it worked in that sense then? Yeah, 100%. But when I'm in, when I'm in primary school, no one cares. <laughs> and so it wasn't really paying out for me. And also during that time, I remember like, and this is, this is the kind of thing that kind of paints the picture as to why I guess the unworthiness cloud started hovering over me. It was like, if I wasn't over excelling and I was just meeting benchmark, uh-huh. then nothing was said. That was like, well, that's just an expectation that I have for you. That's just it. Right. right? What do you want? What, what, like, what do you want me to pat you on the back for breathing? Like you already know how to breathe. This, that's a, that's a no brainer. I'm right. like, it, that's how I thought it was like anything excess. That's what I'm going to get praised for, I guess. And so, uh, I guess that sense of unworthiness was this kind of thing where I really lacked in, I really lacked in athleticism. I started noticing when I was younger, I started putting on weight. I started becoming the chubby kid. And so that kind of added this kind of thing of, well, you're not athletic. You're, you're, you're the chubby kid. And so, and then my, like, you know, my parents, it wasn't my mom. Like, it was more like my dad, right? Yeah. He'd, he'd, he'd say these things where it's like, he'd, he'd, gra- <laughs> he'd grab my love handle and he'd be mm-hmm. like, oh, you better, you better be careful. And like, like, that's like, I know now that it came from a place of concern, but when you're growing up and your, your dad's like, you know, pinching your fat going, oh, you got to be careful. And it's kind of, that hurts. Right. Yeah. And, and I think for me, and, but the funny thing was, I was always active. Like my friend across the road, he had a basketball hoop. We'd play, we ha- we'd play ball until the sun came down or, if his fa- or when his father had to park the car in the driveway. We'd play street soccer every day until the street lights came up. I was that 80s kid where it's like the only time you went home was when you kind of, when the street lights come on and you ride your bike home. Like I was always a- active, but I was a chubby kid. And that kind of really that played into it when I started going to school as well, because in high, when I got into high school, I like, I had to, I had to wear glasses mm-hmm. and now glasses, man, glasses are cool. Like you look good glasses, you know, sophisticated, whatever, whatever. No, nah, man, you wear glasses back in the day. You look, you were a geek, you were a nerd. Right. And <laughs> so I had to wear these glasses at like 12, 13 years old. And I was a chubby kid and yeah, I can't, there was a nickname that I got and they called me like, and these are my mates, right? Well, friends or people at school, I ended up getting the nickname granny 110 and because granny one, because I was, I was, I was round, I was chubby, I wore glasses. And so, and 110 was 110 kilograms. And I don't know how that, how much that is in pounds, but yeah, they called me gran- gran- Granny 110 because I look like a grandma. You know, those chubby little nice grandmas. And so they called me Granny 110. And Is 110 think, supposed to be pretty heavy or something? Yeah. If I was to do it now, if I was to tell you what 110 is in pounds, <laughs> it's 240 pounds. Oh, mercy. As a 13, 14-year-old. So I don't know if that's huge or not, but that's... Oh, that's, 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 a, that's big. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and the thing is that was later in my teens, but early in my teens, like I already was wearing that brand. I was wearing, I was, I fell into the category or I think I placed myself in the category naturally, organically as the fat friend. 
You know, in all those movies, you get the, yeah, the main character yeah, yeah. and then you get the chubby, funny guy who's the nice guy. That was me. Like, and so, like, and it was all about this, I would say, I was riddled with insecurity because of one, my weight, two, this kind of needing the approval that, and I think it was conditioned because another thing that I, I remember is like, I was the... I was part of that family where it was like, if you didn't get a hundred percent, then there was like, like my father, like I told you, like, as I said before, let's say I'd go to my, my father and say, Hey, I got 98% in this exam. And he'd be like, Oh, what happened to that 2%? Right. It was, and I would be like, Oh, like it, it was one of those ones. It wasn't, okay. We're going to celebrate the fact that you smashed it. or got a high distinction. It's, what can you do next time to make sure that you get that 100%? What, what do we really think is going to happen? Like, do, do we think mean? that the <laughs> child is going to be like, you're right, dad. I should try harder and just go to his room and just like hunker down, pull up, pull out a book and say, I'm going to find it. Like, is that what we think is going to happen when, when someone gets a, a high score and we don't, and, and I would don't say praise one of the, I would, like looking back, I understand. I have more of an understanding as to why my father was like that because Mauritius is highly competitive, right? It's it's a very, I would say it's quite not like back in the day, it was quite poor, right? And so education or the plan for education is you you study hard, you get, and it's like a standardized test. If you get a good mark, then you, you have the invitation to go to one of the top schools in Mauritius. If not, or you just get accepted into the general trash schools or the public school or whatever it's called, you know, and the parents were so, and that's, that was the avenue for education. And that was the avenue for a good future, right? And to, to the point where parents, if they weren't happy with the score that you got, you would repeat the year. Like you would repeat your entire year because you didn't get a good enough grade and then, or have the opportunity to go to a different school abroad so that was the thing. That was this thing of you need to excel in academics because of the opportunities that you'll be given. When we came to Australia, like I think we were also brought up with this kind of immigrant mentality where it's like you work hard. Like I, I'm grateful that my father gave me like this, well, my parents gave me this like good work ethic. Like you work hard, you earn, you know, you earn honestly for what you get and all this kind of stuff. But it was also driven by, like there was a lot of fear. It's like you are a yes man to your boss. You're respectful. You don't want to push like, you know, but also at the same time, this is the time in your life where you work hard, you work hard, you get the house, you get all this. And then in retirement, that's when you can enjoy life. But now it's all about the work. And so we, that was kind of ingrained in, in us at a young age. And so we would study hard. And it was funny that coming to, when you, when we came to Australia, the, the competitiveness, like there were selective schools, but the public schools were, were awesome as well. Like, and the variety and the opportunities and the way that you can get the avenues of entry were so different to Mauritius. But my father and my mother had this mindset in their mind that if you didn't score good on your exams and your results, you would either have to redo it or, you know, you wouldn't be able to have the opportunities that you'd have. So that's where there was a lot of pressure. So for me, wanting to please people was like, I would say ingrained in me at quite a, a young age because I just wanted to seek approval from people. Right. Cause in myself, I'm like, who would want to be friends with the chubby fat 
the, the fat kid. And so I was a nice guy because I just wanted people to like me. And so like in high school, I had friends, I had, like had close friends and stuff, but, and they were, they were in the popular group, but I wasn't in the popular group. I was like a nomad who had friends who were in different groups, but like as an individual, they saw me and they knew me as the nice guy, but I wasn't popular enough to be in the popular crowd. If that, yeah, if that made sense. Man, but that does make sense, man. So and, uh, yeah, keep going. Yeah. So I'm thinking like when I, when, so when it comes to my relationship with God, he's like, he's just letting this play out, right? I don't have a relationship with God. I know he's there. And it's like, it was like this, uh, if I was to re relate it to anything, it was just like, he's the puppet master who just created things, but now he's not controlling anything. He's just watching what's happening. Like he's just saying, okay, this is life now. And based on your performance and based on what you do, that's where, that's what's going to govern whether you're going to be accepted into heaven or not. Right. And do good and be, and I was like, well, I'm glad that God gave me, a, God made me a nice guy because at least even though I'm not getting like, I'm though, though I might be feeling completely unworthy, riddled with insecurities, granny 110, at least I'm a nice guy and at least, you know, but even heaven wasn't even on my mind then in my granny 110ness in my, in my growing up and stuff like that, my family were very important to me. Right. Cause I came from a family with a lot of people, cousins and stuff like that. And so we would do family parties and gatherings and all that kind of stuff. And I guess for me, I felt good there because it wasn't about my weight. It wasn't about like whether I was overachieving or not. Like, you know, and don't get me like, don't get me wrong. My parents loved me. Right. My parents sure. like they, but it was always like, it wasn't this thing where they weren't overly expressive towards that. To, towards their love for me kind of kind of thing like our, our family weren't like that we we didn't show him it's not that we didn't show emotion we didn't show love to each other it was like it wasn't until i was i guess 16 or 17 that the it was the first time my dad that i heard my dad say he loved me right and that was because of we had a massive fallout and one day like he had a stressful day at work and like i was i was like you know i would say that food was my comfort Cause I literally fed into the lie or fed into this reality of I'm granny just a fat, like, I'm just granny, I'm granny 110. I'm be granny 112. 100%. And so there was this one particular day that I think I binged like a whole lot of stuff in the fridge and stuff. My dad came home. He was angry, had a stressful day at work and he was looking for something to eat. And I was like, I was like, oh, I ate it and stuff like that. And he just got angry at me. And it was just this one time that he just got fed up. And I think I didn't do my homework. I just had a, it was like a bad day. He had a bad day. I had an underperforming day. And that was just a concoction for disaster. Cause that day he's like, you know what? Just do what you want. Cause I don't give an F like that. Mm -hmm. And I, that rocked me because we lived in a neighborhood that was quite safe. Like, but we lived on the, like on the good side of the tracks, literally because on the other side of one main, one main road, it was like all projects, all housing commission, all that kind of stuff. Right. <laughs> but we lived in a neighborhood that it, was, it wasn't gated or anything, but like it was, it was classified or seen as the nicer area of the West. And, but we still had dramas there. We still had like, you know, breaking and enterings and like all that kind of stuff. And so the, the day that happened, I was like, I was so hurt by what he said because mm -hmm. it was like, though I kind of believe that about myself by my environment for him to say that to me, I was like, like all worth was ripped. Like there was nothing that 
there was nothing that was good about me. And I went for a walk. I had my basketball and I was just, I just went for a walk. And this is like seven o'clock at night, you know, lights out, like, you know, people are already inside their house and stuff. And there was a local park next to my area. And it was about like, I was still probably early high school-ish, probably 13, 13, 14 mm -hmm. years old. And there was a park, there was a local park there when like where older guys were there. And there was like a lot of, there was gang gangs in our neighborhood. And I walked, I, I was walking past and I was in such a place of sadness and, and hurt that they were there, they were chilling out. And I, I just walked past them. And then one of the guys called me back and he's like, Oi, like, where are you going? And I just kept on walking. He's like, Oi, I'm talking to you. I turned around and I was like, what do you want? Like this. And I'm like, bees, what are you doing? Like in my head, I'm like, you're going to get yourself killed, man. But like, I came part, like, I think in my head, it was like, oh, I don't care. Like right. if no one cares, then why the hell am I caring for? Mm -hmm. And like, I think he was surprised that I was all like, I, <laughs> I stood up that he was, and then he goes, you better watch yourself. And I was like, and then I just walked off. And in my head, it was like, I came to a point where like, I think that was one of many points in my life where I kind of branded myself as unlovable. Mm. Right. When I got home that day though, when I got home that night, it was like my father, like, I think he realized what had happened because I came home. I, I was teary. I was, I don't I had a good cry or whatever. I came home. My dad wrote me a note. And that letter was the first time he, he wrote. He goes, you got to understand that I do love you. Right. Mm -hmm. And I read that over and over again. And my tears are just flowing and stuff like that. He, like he didn't say it, but like for me to have it in writing, I was like, okay, well, at least I know, you know? And so growing up, that's, that was it. You know, even in my later teens, like even in my later years, and this could have been, this is my perception or my story of it. Like, this is my understanding of what was going on, right? My parents probably are thinking that is not my intention. This is not what we hoped or whatever, but that's, that's what, what it was. Like there were glimpses of my life. Like one time we're at a family party and we're all just kicking back. It was in the middle of summer. So people are on the blankets. Other people are just sitting at chairs outside. And my dad was having a conversation with my uncle. And this is a, this is during the time where I'm at university and like on that journey, like my dad and my, my dad and my uncle are having a conversation and I'm like sleeping or he thought I was sleeping, but I was just like kind of with my eyes closed, just chilling. And I was just quite near to them. And they're having a conversation about their kids. And the, 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 my dad, like he, like my uncle was kind of boasting about whatever. And then my dad's response was, well, at least I know my kids, you know, if I know that my kids aren't on drugs, then I'm okay. That I guess I'm okay. And I'm like, homie, I'm at university doing a degree that I don't want to do. I'm doing this to get you off, you and my mom off my back to please you. And you're telling me the best that you got is that you're, you're at least we're not on drugs. Like mm -hmm. at least we're not on crack. And I was like, and once again, this was this, like the thing just hit home again about how unworthy I felt. And it didn't help. Like I was like, this time I was actually trying. Like I went, I wanted to do audio engineering. I wanted to go to college and like, and I wanted to do, the creative side of things because that's that was my passion but they my parents were like look the money's not in audio engineering get a stable job work in computing do that instead and uh, yeah so like after after high school i and and this is this this doesn't help the situation but like you know growing up with me and my sister like my sister 
my sister was smart. Like my sister is smart and she got a result. We like in Australia, we do the HSE or the high school certificate. Well, in New South mm-hmm. Wales, we do high school certificate and you get a, a mark, right? Of like at the end, you get like a UAI, right? Or a TL or just basically it's a unity university admissions index. It's a number that says, okay, and universities say to enter into our university for this course, you need a, at least a minimum of this number. And so we were given numbers based on our score and she got a good, she got a good score. Right. And she had, and she did separate subjects to me, but when I got mine back, my mine wasn't as high as her and my father still held them side to side. And he was like, well, this is where you failed. And this is where the things that you did wrong. And I'm like, I did, I did advanced computing. I came second in advanced computing. I did, I came first in music. I came and, but because the number didn't reflect it, like, you know, at the end of your high school, like experience, you know, usually your folks like, you know, either get your car or if you get good grades, get you a car, give you a holiday, whatever, whatever. My parents, I got like, so the number was like, just say my, my, my sister got 75, mm-hmm. I got 69, right? And in my head, I'm like, I don't really care, man. I passed and I, I thought that was pretty good. I ended up getting into university with that mark, but my parents saw that as a failure. Like my parents, my father was like, I got you a, I got you a ticket like to Mauritius, but I'm not going to like, I'm not going to give that to you, man. Cause what you're going to do now is you're going to get a job because before I got accepted into university, my dad thought that was the end of my future because I didn't get the mark. So he's, I, I'm going to have to get a job and work. So instead what was of going the ticket like, to Mauritius, that was going to be like a celebration or like a my holiday gift. Thing? Yeah. Yeah. A holiday. And he didn't give it to you. No, 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 no. Because I failed. I failed my HSE and it's like, and he thought that all of my opportunities were gone because with a 69 mark, no, no university is going to accept me. So that summer I worked, I worked at, in laboring, I worked at thing like different jobs and stuff like that. So that was, yeah, that was, that was pretty much it. I got accepted into university, did university and I hated it. Like I hated that, like, but I got into computing and my parents thought that computing was a great, the money was in computing. The money still is in computing, but the money was in computing at the time. So they saw security there and, and stuff like that. So I was like, okay, to please my parents, I've got to stick this through. And I hated it. I was trash at it and there was no passion in it. And, and what made it worse is that I was on academic probation for half of that time. So I was like, like, because I was failing just as many, many units I was passing, but, but I guess when it comes to spirituality, so at the end of the day, that's who I was. I was this, I was this kind of unworthy person that was trying to please people by doing the best that he could, knowing that he could never live up to the, live up to the expectation. Right. And I was, I guess I was always compared to, but also I started comparing myself to others and I was, well, clearly I'm not that good. Clearly I'm not that smart. Clearly I'm not this. And so I was just believing in this. And so in regards to performance, I just coasted. Right. And I think that was, that was me. And so that's, I would say that's 16, 17 years old. Right. Now I'm turning. Yeah. Now I've got, now I'm about 18, 19 years old. And this is where I guess God comes into it or the decision of God comes into it. So on a relationship side, 
obviously Granny 110 didn't have many girlfriends. <laughs> like he was the friend, right? He was the nice guy. So it was like, I would never ask girls out. I asked them out and they would like, oh, I don't see you like that. I see you as more as a friend. And I learned that early days that that was what I was going to get. So I never asked anyone out, right? I got a job at a cafe and I think this is where the story starts. <laughs> I'm at a job in a cafe for a while and uh, there's a girl, right? And this girl, she starts working there. Now, I'm going to use an alias. Oh, I'm going to call her Anna. Right. And so me and Anna, we become friends. There's about four or five of us at this cafe that we're on a rotating roster. We all become friends. And, and I had like, it's not that I had a crush on Anna. I knew Anna and I thought, wow, she's amazing. She's beautiful. Right. Like she had green eyes. She was like, she had, a, she was like, she was very beautiful girl. But in my head, I'm like, she's like, she's out of my reach, out of my league. Granny 110. You know what I mean? So I placed myself in, in the friend zone, right? Straight away in the friend zone. And then one night, and we're so like, so we're, we're working together for about a year and a bit. One night we're joking, we're, 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 we're wrapping up, like whatever. We're at the barista machine together. And all of a sudden she laughs, like I crack a joke because I was the funny guy, right? And I crack this joke. And she's like, oh man, bees, I would so date you. And I was like, I, that's, it floored me because I turned around, I was like, hey? I'm like, would you? And the thing is, I was like, date me. I'm like, is that, if that's where you're at, why aren't we married? Like, because I, I was like, not only are you, because that, that took me completely by surprise. Because now in that one instance, she was like, not only was she like potentially the only girl who would ever love me, but she's beautiful and she's like, she's, she's a great person. So what do I need to do? And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, I would totally date you. And she's like, yeah, I've had a crush on you for ages. I'm like, what? I'm like, all of this is coming together. I'm like, where is this coming from? And she's like, yeah, I thought you knew that. I'm like, no, let's get this going. Let's make this happen. Like, I'm ready. <laughs> like, if this, is, if this is it, this is it, right? Because this, <gasps> honest, man, honest. Because this, when I was growing up, right, I, like, I had, a, I had girlfriends, but they, I was like frigid. I don't know if that's a word still, but I was so scared and felt so, I don't, insecure that the, I was more friends with them when we weren't dating. Because when we did date, I would never hang around them. I'd, I'd have nothing to say and all this kind of stuff. So now I'm in my 18s. I'm just hitting an ad adulthood. And she comes and tells me that she's liked me for ages. I'm like, what? Let's, let's make this happen. Like, uh, you are the one for me, right? <laughs> And then she goes, Poor well, guy. I can't, <laughs> oh, man. And then she goes, well, and she goes, well, I can't. And I'm like, oh, do you have another man? Like, do you, do you have someone? And she goes, no, you're, you're not my faith. You're not my religion. And I said, well, what are you? And she told me what she was. And in that split second, I was like, well, I could be that. <laughs> She's like, I'm Jewish. I'm like, well, I'm going to take uh, Judaism seriously from now on. And <laughs> I will tell you, right. Okay. She came up from a strict background from from a strip a strict up upbringing and her family was religious right uh -huh. oh well i'll tell you right she yeah. goes i'm like i'm muslim okay and i like i can't like in and because of her family right she's like i'm not going to date outside of my religion and i was like okay 
And in that moment, I just reevaluated my entire experience of God. And I was like, I don't even know who you are. I don't know you. And if this is all I'm going to get, if this is what, if, because it seems like the world or something has handed Granny 110 on a silver platter, the girl, the only girl of his dreams, right? And all I got to do is disconnect my non-existent relationship with you. Then I'm happy to do that. So I told her, I was like, is that all it's going to take? That me, that I need to, you know, like convert to Islam and be Muslim. And then she's like, yeah, but I don't like, I don't want you to do that for me. I want you to do that for yourself. And then I started negotiating in my head. I was like, well, if there is a God and this one's not working out so far, then I'm happy to explore, right? And if that means that I can get the woman of, and I'm calling her the woman of my dreams because that, that was the only girl that actually gave me the time of day. Right. Mm. And I was like, if that's all I'm going to get in this lifetime, then I'm going to do whatever I can to experience this. And I remember two conversations, right? Cause I was scared at the decision that I was making because how I was going to tell my parents, because I knew that though the whole idea of like, they knew that they, they knew what Christianity was. What I didn't realize was how inter intertwined my culture and Christianity was hmm. right. And that'll come later. But like, it was the idea that my, like my parents were like, yeah, we're Christian. It was like the same way that we say we're Christian. It was the same way that, that we say we're, we're Mauritian. Like it was like one and the same kind of thing. And it was mm -hmm. like, yeah, we're Catholic. It's just all part of the package. And so me saying that I wanted to be out was me severing my relationship, not with God, but with the package that I had. And uh, I remember going to my dad and having that conversation. And I was scared because he knew that I really wanted to make it work with her. Because my parents knew her because they knew that I worked with her. At the end of the day, my dad said, look, if that's the decision, I'll, I'll, I'll respect your decision. I remember the, I remember the conversation when I had to tell my mom that I was going to convert or I was exploring the idea of converting to a different faith. And uh, it, it was, it was heartbreaking. I still, I can still picture it to this day that I sat her on the couch and I was, I was talking to her and I told her what was going to happen. And she was, I literally saw her heart break in front of me. Because it was also during the time, like this is 1718, it was also during the time of, you know, it was around the same time of like 9-11 and the fear and, and the thing that was produced. And so the reason why she was sad was was also because she was concerned. She was concerned of what that, what that would mean for me as a person and all this kind of stuff. But also the same time of that I was, I felt like I was cutting ties with who I was. And I remember she was making dinner and she's cutting up broccoli and tears are flowing down her cheeks and she's just listening to what I'm saying. And I, I, I remember that and I was like, okay, well then I, I'm like the bandage, the bandaids off. And so I'm going to start. And that started two years, a two year journey. Right. And so I, I let her know that that was my plan. And so that, that meant that we, could start dating that we could date, but because I wasn't official yet, 
it had to be in secret because she didn't want me to go and approach her unless I was saying, hey, I am of the faith and I'm asking your, for your daughter's hand kind of thing. And so until that was going to happen, we would just, we would date in secret. Now that, that was one thing. I didn't realize how toxic that relationship was going to be. Hmm. Now, what I mean by toxic, it was like, I, I was insecure and that manifested hard out. It was like, but she was, whenever like guys were in the cafe, like, cause she, we were both insecure and we were both really, yeah. It was just this kind of, we were jealous, we were insecure. We wanted to be the main source of happiness for one another. Like it was that bad to the point where if she was, if I was, we had a disagreement or something and we were working together, like she would start flirting with other guys at the register and stuff just to get me angry. Like just to get like, and pry on my insecurities just so she could. And like it, it, it came, it was to the point where if we weren't making each other happy and other stuff was, we would get upset. And it was, I, I didn't realize how much on her side it was as, as bad. Like I stopped hanging out with my family, my cousins and stuff like that, because she didn't like me going there. And so for me to save the drama, I just stopped going to parties. I stopped mm. hanging out with my family because, and that was a long time. And the relationship was bad, man. We would fight and she would... She was, she was quite, what's the word? And this is the thing for me. It's like, I'm playing victim because I was the nice guy, right? Mm. <laughs> like I probably, I could say def definitely, I probably did stuff to feed into it, but like, it felt like I was just a nice guy and she was completely taking advantage of, you know, capitalizing on my niceness because when things got really tough or when things like I was working for a telecommunications company at the time and I was, that was exhausting because it was manual labor. Like it was like, it was electronic rigging. Like I'm, I'm climbing poles, I'm installing panel antennas and all this kind of stuff. My body's breaking, right? And then at night I'm coming home, only having like four or five hours sleep before I'm called to be back in the yard. She'll call me up and she's like, why didn't you call me all day? Why didn't you text me? You know, all this kind of stuff. We'd start arguing on the phone and to the point where I just have enough. And what I mean by having enough is, is like, like the God, that I was serving, like whatever was out there. Cause my journey with God was still non-existent, right? Because mm -hmm. here I'm trying to go through this process to please her, but I'm kind of curious at the same time, but I'm like going to go into this God. And I'm like, where are you? What's the deal? You know, what, what's the, what's the point of this? And she would say stuff like, so I'd say to her, you know, I just need some time. I just need a time to cool my head and stuff like that. And usually what I would do is I would just take it, like I'd have my own car. And so I'd just drive around. It'd be like one, two o'clock in the morning. Roads weren't that kind of busy and stuff like that. So I'd just cruise around just to empty out my head, like just to kind of focus and stuff. And the fights got bad, right? To the point where once like we're arguing on the phone and I said, look, I just need to, I just need to take a, I just need to drive, take a drive, cool my head. And she's like, yeah, you do that. I hope you wrap around a pole. Like, and she'd say stuff like that. Like she's mm. like, just so that's it. I'm done. That kind of stuff. And it that, so that lasted a couple years. And during that time, I could tell that I was also hurting my family. And my, the person that kind of made it the most obvious <laughs> was my sister. Cause my sister, my sister wrote me a letter and that one, well, another one that kind of burned in my mind because she didn't hold, she didn't pull any punches. 
She was like, I can't believe you did this. How can you betray us? How can you betray your culture? How can you betray, you know, who you are, your identity? You know, did you, did, did, did nothing mean, did any of this mean anything to you? You know, and she was coming, she was coming from a place of hurt. And then she started saying, you know, about my, like my grandma, but because by that time, my grandma passed away. And she goes, you know, you might, like, mum might be okay with it, dad might be okay with it, but I'll never forgive you for disrespecting Gaumau and what you've, what you're cho choosing to do and, and all this kind of stuff. And so in my head, like, she represented my family mm -hmm. in that letter. Like, she represented that, the, the, the hurt and the, the hurt that I was causing, like, my family. So in my, in my life, I was in this, like, on one side, I'm in this trash, toxic relationship mm -hmm. in this artist on this other side. I'm just a letdown and this like disappointment to my family and my people. And when, and I didn't want any of the worlds to collide because my parents, like whenever they came together, I was just stressed because it was like, I just want them to be okay. But I know that there's not, there's tension and all this kind of stuff. So I was like, man, just keep the world separate and I'll just survive through it. Because also my sister was obvious about how much she didn't like her, like man or whatever I said. And it wasn't because <laughs> of, uh, and it wasn't because of what anything Anne did to her. Cause she was actually quite nice to my sister, but it was like what I was choosing to it's do. Because of you. Yeah. It was because of me. And so I was in this place where it's like, at the end of the day, I was like, if this is all I deserve, like if this is what love is, then either I stick with it or, or I bail. And the time that I bailed was we were dating for a couple of years and there was like, she ended up turning about 22, 20, yeah, 22 ish or 21, 22 at the time as well. And her parents approached her and she's like, and we're still dating in secret on her side of the family. Our, my family knew because they didn't have the problem or didn't that they didn't have the drama. Her, her parents it still dated in secret. And it came time where she was like, where her parents were like, oh, you know, it's time for you to, you know, start finding a, a partner, like finding suitors. And we know these men in this community. So we'd like you to start introducing yourself to them. We'd like them to start taking you out. And, you know, and she wanted to honor her parents above this relationship. And so I had to sit back and watch her date guys and not say anything. And there was there was a time that I went for a drive one night and there was a couple of times during it where things just got worse, where like, I was thinking to myself, if tonight's going to be the night, let it, let it happen. Like if something happens, if it's time for me to go, because this isn't working out, this is not good because I was just, I was shunned from my family or I, no, I cast myself out of my family mm -hmm. and I was in this toxic relationship where I'm watching my girlfriend date other guys and that's what God, or that's what, that's, that's the cards that I get. This is the relationship that I've got for the rest of my life, you know? And so when it came and when it came to the spiritual journey, like I was going and I was doing the practices, you know, I fasted and I was very respectful, respectful to the tradition. But when it came to the relationship, it was exactly the same as the one that I had before with, with the God of the God of Catholicism. It was so disconnected that I was like, yeah, you know of me, but you're still doing the whole puppet, puppet master thing. So, so God was no longer, I don't know what Catholics, do they believe God is Yahweh? Yeah, well, they believed in the Father, the Son, the Holy okay. Spirit. Yeah, and yeah. then you had, now it was Allah? 
for you? Allah, yeah. It's like, and this is like But was it the same God. guy or was it the same yeah, person? <laughs> it was the same person because like in the Quran, like, you know, Jesus and Mary, they're, they're mentioned, right? And, but the way that they're seen is like, you know, uh, Jesus is an honorable mention as a prophet. You know, he is not the son of God. He, there is no Trinity. It's Allah, the one true God, right? And so for me, I was trying to marry or reconcile an easy transition. So I'm justifying these things. It's, oh, I can believe in this because there's a bit of this, there's this, is this. And it was all, but for me, it was mainly based on practice. But I think, yeah, the time came to, came to the end when I was like, I, I, I don't think, it's not that I don't deserve it. It's if this is what I deserve as this unworthy granny 110, hmm. I don't want it. So I'd rather live knowing I'm unlovable mm-hmm. than live in this as what love is. If this is, if this is what the love that I'm offered, then I'd rather be unlovable. And so I broke up with her and yeah, like I broke up with her and that was, that started this kind of new chapter in my life. But the new chapter in my life was nothing. Like it was nothingness. It was, I was completely numb. Depression. Yeah, I would say that definitely. Because my reality was, I was accepting now that, and once again, I believed in God. I believed he was there. He was at a distance. But now it was like, I cut ties with you. I chose to cut ties, I chose to cut ties with you for this girl. So now I'm going to live the rest of my days knowing one, I'm not saved and two, that I'm unlovable because my opportunity, my one and only opportunity for love didn't work out. And so that's where it was. And I I will tell you that that this is not good, bro. I don't know if you're listening to this story. This is not, this is, this is is a lot of death, man. (laughs) 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 Yeah. As I'm listening to this story and hearing some of the things that you're mentioning, some of this stuff is not good. But this is where I think it turns it around. This is where it turns around. Well, I shouldn't say that because you're like, oh, there's hope. It turned around to the point where I just had enough, uh-huh. where I was still going on, the, going on drives and stuff like that. And there was one particular night where, no, it was an afternoon. I remember this day that I was, it was, I was still hurting. Like I was still hurting from the re- relationship. I was still hurting for betraying my family. I was still hurting from all the guilt and this feeling of being unloved and all of this. So there was zero worth. There was zero value, zero life in me. And so I'm walking through life numb, still going on these drives. And one day I go, I like, I used to spend time going to my grandma's grave. And just taking that time to chill. And I do that every so often when I was like low points, I'd go there and just kind of like talk to her, mm-hmm. you know, and probably talk to her and ask her to talk to God for me and, and stuff like that, you know, cause mm-hmm. she was close with him, but I wasn't kind of thing. Right. And there, there was a time, it, it was an overcast day and I was driving and I, I parked at the cemetery. I went down to the gravesite, and it was like, there was a light drizzle, but I was like, I couldn't care. And I came to resolve that, like that day that I was going to be intentional on how I drove to finish it off. And so I think one of the biggest things, the hardest things that I needed to do was call my mom and tell her. And I just said like, cause the thing, the thing that's kind of stuck with me was the hurt that I was causing my mom. Because when I was in that dark, like when I was dating, when I was dating, uh, Anna, mm-hmm. uh, I, like my sister also mentioned in that letter, 
Like, as I thought when I, when I made that decision, I turned my back on my family that my mum wanted to see me less and less. Cause I noticed that when I'd come home and stuff like that, she wouldn't be home and she would come home. Like she'd usually come home at about five or six, like with my dad when he would come home, but she was coming home at like nine, nine o'clock. And I thought, oh, she's working overtime. And the reason why is because she doesn't want to be at home and she doesn't want to see me because I've brought like kind of this shame and like this sadness to the family, to the community and stuff like that. And so I, and in the letter, my sister goes, you know, like she, she wasn't yeah, pulling any punches, right? She was coming in red hot and she was like, you know, you don't get it. Like you think the reason why mum is not coming home is because she doesn't want to be in this environment as, as toxic as it is or as sad as it is. Mum is not working late. Mum, mum goes, she finishes work early every day and then she goes to the church and until, until late, she prays for you. Hmm. And uh, like she, like, and, and, and for me, the more I thought about that, I wasn't touched by my mum praying. It was, I was Same. shamed because I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm hurting my mum even more. Right. And what I'm doing is like causing friction and tension in her relationship with God and all this kind of stuff. And so when, when you're, when you're thinking about hurting yourself, are you relieving your mom of this pain in your mind? No, nah, it was, it was this thing of, yeah, yeah. But I knew it was, it was, it was weird because it was like, it was like, though the pain is going to be short, at least you won't have to suffer like you're suffering for the rest of mine and your life. So, man, that's such, it's such a lie from the enemy, bro. Oh man. Cause, cause if you would have done that, the pain would be immeasurable. Yeah. It would have been immeasurable, but because you love your mom, even at this moment, like why, when you make, when you make a plan or if you're deciding, oh, I think I'm going to do this, you do love your mom. Yeah. But, but there was lies. <laughs> yeah. There was plenty. One was like, but you're unlovable, man. Like you, you have no worth. So what are you doing? You're, you're, you're more of a burden and you're causing hurt and you're making, and you've caused irrespect, irreversible damage to this. So there's nothing you can do now to make amends. So you know what? This taint is going to stay. So you might as well get, get it over and done with just so she can live like, just so life can continue without you. And like, there will be a part of, and there were things like, Oh man, I was concerned more about what it was going to do for the reputation of the family. Like, cause people will talk and people will gossip and people will, and that kind of pressure and stuff. That's what the thing is like, oh, man, I've got to put this burden on my mom, but that's, it won't last long. It'll be okay afterwards. So I called her up and in that call, I just apologized to her and I said, I was like, mom, sorry for everything. Like, I'm sorry for the decisions that I made 
choices that I made. And the thing is, and I think, I don't know if I've shared this with you before, is that when she heard this, she started to panic because she seen me, she saw me sad. She saw me upset. She saw me frustrated, but she didn't hear, she never heard the kind of, I guess, resolve in my voice. Like I said to her, you know, I'm sorry for everything, but it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. And she was freaking like she was freaking out. She was like, "Where are you? Call me. Like, come, come home." And I said, "It's all right, Ma. Don't worry about it. It's all good." And the funny thing is, I think because what my dad told me, like when he said it was okay, and like he's like, "Like, you're still gonna be my son," kind of thing. I didn't have to tell him, or I did. I felt like my mom would just tell him. Mm-hmm. So the only one call I made was to my mom. Just to say sorry for everything. And then I hung up the phone because I was like, that's it. I can't because if, if it takes longer, circumstances might change. And uh, Meaning so like end, I have the gumption enough to do it right now, so I should get it over with because if it yeah, goes on, yeah. then I won't be able to do yeah. it. Yeah, because there were a couple of times in the night, like, you know, while I was dating Anna, and, and, uh, <laughs> While I was dating her, man, I went for a drive, man. I'm hitting like one, tw- like I, I, I was hitting top speed, man. I was like, we'll see how we go. Like, mm. and, uh, and I was like, if tonight is the night, then tonight's the night kind of stuff. But this one, I was like, I was in that mindset again. And I was like, okay, here we go. And so at the end, like after that phone conversation, I'm kind of, you know, in that spot where it's just me by myself in this cemetery, overcast weather. And uh, I decide to pray. No, I don't decide to pray. I just decide to think. Right. And I'm like, and it's like, I'm apologizing to my grandma as well. Cause I'm there and I'm talking to her and, and it's crazy because in that kind of moment of just reflection and talking out loud, saying, I'm sorry for everything. I all, all of a sudden my eyes are closed and stuff like that. And all of a sudden I feel this warmth hmm. And <laughs> like, and this is the stuff, this is where it gets crazy, right? I feel this warmth and I look up and I would say just in the stretch of area around me, it was like sunlight hmm. and the sun was sitting in behind me, right? But I wasn't noticing because it was overcast and I turned around and it seemed like the, there was like the clouds had split. And there was just this ray of light that was over me in my area where I was. And I just felt warm. And that in that moment, like I was like, if this is a sign, then I'm not going to do it today. Right. It's not that I'm not going to do it. It's just that I'm not going to do it today. But I was like, I don't know what it meant. So I didn't do it. Mm-hmm. And, and I think in my heart, I was throwing out this Hail Mary to say, if something's out there and I'm still, there's still something for me, show me in that moment, even though my heart was praying something else. And so when I felt that, I was like, is this hope? What is this? But the circumstance, the situation didn't change, right? Um, so I start, like, I go along with my, I start going on, on with my day, my week, and still, I'm still feeling this numbness, right? I'm still feeling this thing, but I think that day was just something showed me that today was not the day. 
And then I started going to church again, right? Because I was just like, well, God, if that was you, you I, I, I got to, I guess I got to come and we got we to gotta have words or something. So I remember there was a particular time I went to mass and yeah, in Catholic church, <laughs> I'm guaranteed it was either, I was either Good Friday or uh, it was one of the big ones because the church was jam packed. Right. And that's where everyone comes out of the woodwork and goes, yep, I got to, I got to do my, you know, my, <laughs> I got to make up for the lack of church I've been participating in for the, for my, throughout the year. But this is the big one. Church was jam packed. And so I didn't get a seat. I'm standing next to a window and the window is like, there's a st- stained glass window. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. And I'm just walking in and I'm saturated in unworthiness. I'm, I'm completely feeling, what am I doing here? It's like, not only do I feel like a guest in this house, but I feel like an uninvited, unwelcome guest in this house. And so we go through the service and like during the mass, like you go for communion, uh, which is like the body of Christ, the Eucharist, right? And so you do the circuit, you go around, go to the priest, receive communion. Then afterwards you sit back or you go back to where you were and have a time of reflection and prayer. Right. And since like, if you, if you can't, if you can't sit nowhere, you just kneel where you are. And as I was going down, I I received the communion in unworthiness. I took it in unworthiness and all of a sudden this weight of how unworthy I was just overwhelmed me. And I was just bawling my eyes out. And when I was kneeling, like I was just crying and crying and I was like, what am I doing? Like, and that thought was, were you tell, were you holding this off for another day? Right. Because potentially in the background, you're working on my mom's heart, you know, to prepare her. And you were probably thinking, well, she's not ready for this. So you don't do this today. Right. You hold out until I tell you you're, you're ready to go. That's where I was. Cause this feeling of unworthiness was like, well, why are you stringing me along? Why are you, you know? And so I'm, I'm crying, I'm a mess. And then all of a sudden, once again, <laughs> I feel this hand on my shoulder mm. and this voice and all this voice says, it was, it was a guy and all this voice says, he says, don't worry about it. It's going to be okay. Mm. And I turn around to try and see who was looking up to at least thank him. And the sun hits the the stained glass window that all I see is just this figure and I can't see who it is. So I just thank him. And I was like, but to hear him say, don't worry about it. It's going to be okay. It made me think to myself, well, what is going on? Because there is hope that you don't want me to go through with this. That it's not about preparing my mom's heart but it's about something about me. So I'm like, okay, cool. Life goes on. But now life is a little different because it's like, well, that, that must have meant something. Now I'm hoping that some, that whatever happened, that experience was meant one for me and it was meant for something, right? Now, one of the guys, now this is crazy, one of the guys I went to high school with, I also worked with at that ca- that same cafe. We used to jam together and we used to play music together. He was a guitarist. I played bass and drums or whatever. And one day early on, 
I go to his house and we go and jam. And so I was playing bassy, play guitar, and I took my father's bass amp to his house. And after the jam session, we lived in the same neighborhood. I just went home and I forgot that I left his, my bass amp, not even mine, my father's bass amp at his house. And so, and I thought I lost it or I thought it got stolen. And my dad was asking me, where is it? Where is it? And I'm like, I honestly thought, I thought it was stolen, not knowing that it was his house. Cut to about four years since I've, I've seen him. No, not a bit less, about two, three years since I saw him from work, he calls me up randomly and he goes to me, Hey bees, how you been? And I'm like, I'm goods, man. And he's like, Hey, you know, your base, your base amp's still in my house. Right. Hmm. And I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah, do you want it? Like, do you want to come and pick it up? I'm like, homie, are you sure it's mine? Because I left, like, I'm pretty sure my one got stolen. He's like, no, no, no. It's the Scorpion base amp. It's your dad's. He knew it was my dad's. Right. So I'm like, and he's like, yeah, yeah, come, come and pick it up. It'd be good to see you. I'm like, yeah, 100. So I drove back, uh, I went back to my old neighborhood, uh, still living west, and I meet him, right? And I meet up with him, and this guy, man, I'm like, I don't know what happened to him, but he's had, he's had this major revelation. He's had this, uh, what's it called? <laughs> he's had a transformation experience. He's a born-again Christian. Hmm. And I'm like, oh, here we go. Cause like <laughs> I go into the house, I pick up the bass amp, I chit like I chit chat with him, like you know some pleasantries, just so yeah, I can yeah. bounce, right? Cause I'm still this this still I mean this still kind of funk, like not even knowing what's going on. And then he goes to me, bees. <laughs> he goes, bees. What's your relationship with Jesus? And I'm like, homie. I'm like, no, nah, it's not the time. I was like, I don't, I don't want to talk about this. And he's like, no, no, for real, for real. Because he, he, he tells me, you know, he's been changed by the love of God. Like he's, and he's telling me all of this. And I'm like, in my head, I'm like, bro, it must be nice. Mm. Like, it must be nice. Like, I'm glad for you. Because I was still the nice guy. I wasn't jealous or anything. I was like, I'm just, I'm really happy for you. And he goes to me, so where are you with God? And I said, bro, I'm, I'm a lost cause, my man. I'm, I'm too far gone, right? Right. And then he goes, why? And I tell him everything. I tell him about Anna. I, told, I tell him because he knew her. And, he, and I tell him about the whole experience. And then he goes to me, bees, let me ask you something, right? And he goes, when you turned your back on God, you turned your back on your family as well. You said that, right? And I was like, yeah. And he goes, and you cut ties not only with God, but with your family. You say that, yeah? And he goes, yeah. And he said, Bees, when you were when you cut ties with your with your family, right? Where were you living? And I was like, I, I was living at home. And then he was like, Who was putting clothes on your back? And I was like, I was my dad. And then he goes to me, Who was putting food on the table every day for you? And I was like, oh, That's my that was my mum. And he goes, They're your earthly parents. What do you think your your heavenly father who you, who provided your earthly parents for you I think is thinking about and the relationship that they have that he has with you in that moment it was the first time that i saw and considered him to be a father hmm. and not this being in in like in the like in the universe somewhere but he was and the reason why i was able to see him as a God of love was because of the love that my parents were showing me when I had rejected them hmm. in the face of rejection. They were still loving me regardless. And that was unconditional love because I did nothing 
like in my granny one ten unworthiness, living up to nothing life. There was nothing that I delivered to them or showed or presented to them to show that I was worthy in their eyes. Yet irrespective of all of that, they still showed me love unconditionally. And when he was telling me that it was like, it was so as a matter of factly and such a no brainer that I was like, yeah, my parents still love me. I know that they love me. And then my, he goes, yeah, your heavenly father loves you just this much. And I was like, huh? Okay. And so I was, I started giving God a chance again. And it's not a, a thing that I hated God. It was just like, I was still, I was completely unworthy. I was the lost cause, but I'm like, now I'm questioning is like, do I actually, do you see me as a lost cause or do you see me as what? Like, I don't understand. And I, I think in this, and I, and, but from there, it was like this, the feeling of hope was there. The feeling of there's more to it than just this, this life that you're living, right? Hey, I just wanted to take a quick second to tell you guys about the Love Reality Gospel community on Facebook. This is where it is going down. This is where we make all of our announcements. Uh, but more than that, this is where community happens. So I'd, I'd invite you to find us online and start kicking it with us on Facebook in this community group. And I think you're going to find that you'll be edified. There's there's going to be people encouraging you and lifting you up. And I just think it's a beautiful thing. So it's the Love Reality Gospel Community on Facebook. Look us up and, and join us online. Let's uh, get back to uh, the podcast with Baze. And so from that point on, I'm, uh, I decide to turn my life around. I finish my studies. I graduate from, I graduate from uni. And then all of a sudden, like I get back into soccer. Uh, like I, I start getting friends again. Like I start going back to family parties and life, like, you know, starts getting okay. And I think from God's perspective, you know, he was like, I need you to go through a season of healing, Right. I'm not, I don't have a relationship, but the way that I like looking back on it now, he's like, before he's like, before I introduce myself to you, I just need you to just enjoy life. I just need you to do life a bit because you, because that relationship stripped the best years of life of discovering who you are. Like my twenties, like my 19, 18, 19, 20, 21, that like all of that was gone. And it was like flushed into this, this relationship. So I go back into soccer. I, I start getting a social life and all this stuff stuff again, right? We had like a friend group that was both mix and match, right? But one one particular weekend, like, and this is in my like early twenties now, and this is still fresh, right? We go we go this weekend away, and all of a sudden, this group of girls that uh, they come, and I see one, and I'm like, wow, she's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Right. She was, uh, the first thing I noticed about her, <laughs> the first thing I noticed about her were her dimples. Right. Mm -hmm. And I go to my friend and I go to my friend and this is just, I was like, Hey man, who are those, who are those girls? Cause I used to, I knew all the other girls because they'd either club clubbing with us or they'd be in the soccer, the girl soccer team or whatever. And then he goes to me, Oh, they're my church friends. And I looked at him. I said, you don't go to church. <laughs> and he goes, yeah. And I'm like, Bro, we play soccer on Sunday. 
And he goes, yeah, I don't go to church on Sunday. I was like, well, how do you know them? And he goes, oh, I'm a Sabbath keeper. And I'm like, what's a Sabbath? And he goes, oh, I go to church on Saturday. And I was like, no, seriously, you do? And he goes, yeah. And he goes, I'm Adventist. And I'm like, what's an Adventist? And he goes, that's the, like, you know, that's the church that I'm part of. And I'm like, oh. And I'm like, well, what's that? And I'm like, are you, is that Christian? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, oh. And then I, like, so I went. <laughs> so this is, this is dangerous, right? Cause now I, I see this girl, by the way, her name's Karen. Yeah, I, I go and I, I go and introduce myself to them because they because I felt bad because they didn't know like they knew the church boys they didn't know a lot of the soccer team soccer boys and the other girls that were there like they felt like on the outs so I was as the nice guy I went and go went and had a conversation with them approached them and stuff like that and it was funny because it was at a barbecue right so here we are I got a drink in my hand you know cooking up steak whatever whatever I see Karen in the in, in the in the kitchen frying up mushroom. So I go up to Karen and I'm like, why are you frying them? Do you want, do you want me to get you some chicken or something? She's like, no, 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 I'm vegetarian. I'm like, yo, okay. <laughs> I was like, what are you doing on a barbecue if you're vegetarian? <laughs> right. And I was like, oh, you, yeah. She was the first, like for me, officially, she was the first Adventist Sabbath keeping vegetarian that I met, like officially. And yeah, I, I just, I, I just immediately, had a massive crush on her and i was like wow you're she's beautiful she, she was a, like she was actually amazing right and then she goes uh, and like we, we start talking we spend that whole day like talking getting to know one another and that kind of stuff so and then, hey let me say this let me say this yeah so in her episode yeah. she she goes in on this and we hear about how you end up going to church you're playing yeah. in the band yeah uh, and how the whole church is praying for you, for you yeah. to get this thing. Yeah. And how you never wanted to hold her hand and all this stuff, which uh, we, we went into it a little bit. Where I'm curious is as this, as you start going to church and you're interested in Karen, what is changing about God? And what then allows you to say, okay, this, this guy, this being is different. Yeah, I thought. Yeah. So this is what happened. And this is like, it's funny because like the death part is there, but this life part, it happens in such a concentrated amount of time that it's like, it's like exponential change in a small amount of time. So after that week, that very, the very next time I met her, I'm in a club on a Saturday, uh, on a Friday night. And my buddy's there and I'm like, hey man, are you going to like is Karen gonna be at church tomorrow? Because <laughs> I'm messaging her on mate on MySpace. We became friends on MySpace. I'm messaging her, that kind of thing. She's not looking for a boyfriend because she came out of a relationship and stuff. So I was like, no, nah, it's all good. I just want to be friends anyway. It's all good. But I was still keen. And that was like, you know, that wasn't a lie or anything. And, and she knew that, right? And then on Friday night, I'm like, hey man, do you wanna is Karen gonna be at church tomorrow? He's like, yeah. I'm like, do you want to go to church tomorrow? And we're in the clubs, right? He's like, hey, man, now's not the time to be thinking about these kind of things. <laughs> I was like, no, 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 this is the thing. We'll go home. We'll go to church. I went home. Like, We got home at about, what, 2 in the morning? I woke up at 7, got my church clothes done, went to his house, woke my boys up, got them done, and we went. We went to church, and she was there. And what was interesting was as soon as I walked in, I went to a youth service. Uh -huh. Now, when I went to like when I went to Catholic church, it was always a combined mass, but it was a very traditional, very old, very, that kind of thing. 
I came into a youth service, man. And they're singing worship songs, and these songs, are, they, these songs got a good groove. And and the boys, like the boys on the band or the boy, boys on the worship team, I know them, right? Because some of them are playing soccer with me, and they're they're my age. And all of a sudden, I'm like, I love this environment. I love this community. And so I was like, yeah, I might be here for Karen, but I think I'm going to stick around because I like this. And I think God kind of opened up this opportunity to say, okay, I want, I want you here, right? If I got to use Karen as a catalyst to show you who I am, that's going to bring you here. But I need you to be part of this community. I need you to be part of this group. And so from there, like I start, I start like the first thing I walk into this church, right? And the youth, the youth leader, this is my first time at the church. The youth leader comes out. He's like, Hey, welcome, blah, blah, blah. He sends, he gives me a form, right? And the first, and the form th- says is how can you serve at this church? <laughs> and I'm like, this is my first time. But I was like, okay, I can, ser-. I was like, ah, oh, I can play bass. I can play drums. I sing a little. And I gave it to him The next week I'm on praise and worship team. I'm playing bass. Mercy. Right. And so, and the thing is, I'm like, I like this environment because I love the youth. I love that the people like we're, we're, and then from that point on, like me and Karen start dating. And as we're dating, like my relationship with God was this thing of, Hey, I've, I'm going to like, this is who I am. And in that, during that season of life, when I started going to church, I was able to embrace grace, Hmm. grace found in Jesus Christ. You know, I was able to, Jesus was able to speak to me and say, you know, it's because of my grace that I'm allowing you to come back. Right. And so I was celebrating salvation. Hmm. Right. But the position that I was in, and this is, I will tell you, Richard, from here, from this point to, I would say up until two weeks ago, this is where I was. Okay. Tell and me. this is, this is where I was. I was, I was at a point where I was so unlovable, right. That God showed, a, uh, like, no, I was a, at a position where I was unworthy and I was unlovable. And that was the hand that I was dealt to a thing where God said, no, no, no even though that you might be thinking that of yourself, right? My grace will cover you, right? I still love you and my grace will cover you. And so when I came back, if I was to compare it, because I've, this is who I am, it's I'm the prodigal son, right? I'm the son that went, that left, that came to his senses and then returned home. But when I, tur- when I returned home, it was the, the thing where, like, I still had the same thing. I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against God. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. What must I do? Let, make me want, like one of your hired servants. Make me like one of your hired men. And I was like, for, you, for me to be acceptable of your grace, I will show you. And that's where my work ethic kicked in. It was like, I will put in the yards to show you how, not, not how, how worthy I am or what must I do, but it's how grateful I am that you would take a wretched person like me, cover me with your grace. And so I will work till my day, till the day is done just to show you and prove to you how grateful I am. And so like I, so I when I start preaching, like, you know, grace, I'm preaching grace with a hundred percent conviction. Like God loves me. God values me. 
right? And because he's given me salvation, he's given me this opportunity that originally I rejected. I slammed the door in his face and all this kind of stuff, but he's given this back to me. And so I was like, of course, I've got to, like, I've got to be grateful because, and, and the reason why I say it that way is because I, I don't know, like, I didn't know what the end of the prodigal son's experience was, hmm. right? Because he just comes home, he receives, and then they begin to party, right? They begin to celebrate. So I was like, yeah, I'm celebrating what God has given me. And I've got to be grateful, man. I've got to be grateful for everything that he's given me because I'm still unworthy, right? I still saw myself as unworthy, but Jesus, because he's a grace. And basically, the way that I compare it to is where in Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe, right, there's the younger brother, Edmund, mm-hmm. right? Edmund messes up, right? And then... Uh, Aslan has that chat with him and Aslan sacrifices himself and Edmund, it's, he, he makes the trade, right? And so I felt that that was Edmund. Edmund is going to spend the rest of his years just being grateful that the sacrifice was made. Hmm. And so that was me. And so it was, it was rejoicing and it was praising. And I, I, I truly believe that my Christian experience was real, right? Because of what Christ did for me. And I still recognize my, un- because I was just looking at my unworthiness and my wretchedness and what I did, but he's willing to love me in spite of that, right? It wasn't until, and so me and Karen, after we're dating and stuff like that, cut to, and this is where it just, you know, mm-hmm. like in my personal, in, in my personal testimony, my journey, like God in that moment also helps me reconcile things between my family, my sister, my cousins and all of this. And like, I think, and for me, I'm just accepting him as being like, giving me these blessings of healing and reconciliation. I end up, and this is the thing. It was always an experience first. And then my curiosity came later. So that, that thing that happened at the cemetery came first then my curiosity to seek him out came later. The thing that happened in the church. So I was going through life still as the nice guy, but now I'm this nice guy who's unworthy, but grateful for what God has given to me. But I need to know more about him. And so in my life, I'm by this time, I'm working in IT, making bank, like, like doing really well and all this kind of stuff, meeting the expectations of my parents and stuff like that. But then in my head, I'm like, for what this experience is showing me, I need to know more about God. I need to know more about my journey and what this experience is. So I decided that in a season of time, or like or in one particular season, I would resign from my job and propose to propose to Karen and leave leave my job and go and study ministry and theology at Avondale College. And so Karen and and so my parents are like, what is this? What what is going on now? The reason, something that I just need to add is that in the Mauritian community, there are a lot of Adventists in the Mauritian community, right? And so there was one particular time when I told my mom, when I told my parents that I was going to Adventist church, they were like, "Uh uh-oh, like history is going to repeat itself. What is going on? Right? Because they didn't know anything about it, but they knew people who were Adventists. And there was one one particular time that there was, like my mom was concerned but she was like, well, he, it's a Christian faith, so at least that's okay, right? And there was one particular time where there was a death in the family or a death in the Mauritian community. And I, as the church member, no, I, I as a Mauritian church member, because it happened to the mem- one, of the, one of my friends that we were singing together, we sang for a special item at the funeral. 
my mum attended that funeral because she knew her as in the Mauritian community. We didn't know we were going to see each other at that funeral. And then my, a pastor who, um, yeah, my, the, the pastor who was there, Mauritian pastor, he preaches this sermon on life and hope and Jesus. And it seemed like that message not mm-hmm. didn't speak to my mum where it gave her hope. It was it gave her assurance that where I was going and the community I was in, that I was going to be okay. Hmm. And so I started, but I needed like I need to know more. I need to know more about this God because I'm like, He's given me salvation. I want to celebrate life in Him. I'm so grateful for what He's doing because He's providing healing in all areas of my life. He's given me a, a partner now that I wanted to like I wanted to be with her. So that that year it was probably like five or so years, you know, uh, dating her, I, I proposed to her. And so I'm in college right now. And it was like, I had no intention of going to partial ministry. I had no intention of doing anything except know more about God. So it was my, in my second semester in college that I decided to get back baptized because yeah, it was like, I felt a conviction of, yeah, Christ loves me. I am saved by his grace. He covers my sin, you know, and so I'm going to celebrate that. And so I, so when I, when I started, I did work in ministry and and stuff like that. My ministerial life, different story and all this kind of thing. But I'm going to tell you now that throughout this entire journey of my Christian experience, I was really the, the underlying thread was unworthiness because I was, I, I felt unworthy as writing 110. I felt unworthy as who I, who I was and what I was, un, the expectations I was unable to meet. I was unworthy for rejecting God. And I still felt unworthy to a point of when God covered me with his, with his sacrifice, I was like, wow, I can't believe he would do that for me. So there was this overwhelming sense of love gratitude and unworthiness. And so for me, like the beginning of this year, so I've lived, this is the life that I've been living, right? So the beginning of this year, like me and Karen, like we're on different wavelengths when it comes to practice because she's coming from this traditional conditioned Seventh-day Adventist staunch upbringing, right? And I'm coming from this place so I'm celebrating grace and salvation and new life. And I'm like, yeah, this is me now. I'm, I'm celebrating what God has given to me and I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying life. And not only that, like it's only in the last couple of years, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, hang on, I don't have to wait till heaven or the second coming for me to receive some of these gifts that he's wanting to give me now, like love, joy, peace, and all the nine fruits of the spirit. I can experience that now. I can have that now. And I could live out that now, irrespective of the circumstance around me. And that I'm banking on. And I'm like, yeah, I'm good. I have joy in my heart because of what, because God, because God wants to give that to me now and all this kind of stuff. But keeping in mind that underlying thread of unworthiness is still there, right? So, um, so, but I'm living my life and I'm like now me and Karen are married together and my philosophy on marriage and hers is completely different because from hers, uh, from her side, well, I'm not going to speak on her side, but she came from a place of like expectations, like 50, 50 kind of we're given like, you know, give and take in my, in my relationship with God. It's like, I'm going to, God's going to be my main source of happiness. God's going to be my main source of joy. I got to get filled up by him first. And then I'm going to show that love to Karen, right? Mm-hmm. 
I'm going to, like, I'm not going to expect anything from Karen. I'm not going to, like, I'm coming from a place of I'm going to get everything from God, my joy, my love, my peace, and whatever he's willing to give me, I'm going to share that. Or no, I'm going to, as an overflow, I'm going to share that with Karen. You know, I spent a lot of time with her the other day. Mm. Her main resentment was this idol that she made of uh, sexuality. Like, because she had waited for this thing, and so she made this idol, and uh, as the ex- as her expectations weren't met, then bitterness and resentfulness has crept in, and uh, I know you haven't heard the episode yet, because we haven't even produced it yet, but <laughs> a lot of that was going in, mm. and then just unmet expectations. Did you feel the weight of that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, when it came to our relationship, there were there were things where I was like, there were things that I was letting it down on big time, right? But once again, all of this, like when I would take it up, I wouldn't refute or wouldn't rebuttal or wouldn't try and say, oh, well, what about this and what about that kind of thing? I would take it up with God and I'd be like, and I was coming from a place of gratitude of, well, if this is the worst where she feels that I'm not living living up to expectations, I'm used to that. I'm okay, and I can live through that. So that didn't just double down on the unworthiness, like yeah, yeah. I'm unworthy in everything, and also I'm unworthy in this, and so yeah. build more shame and condemnation to you. Yeah, hundred percent. And so when I came up to God, He was basically He was like, what I was asking Him for was comfort, right? Acknowledging, like in my unworthiness, that that who that's who I was. Right. Or that's who I am. And because I can't meet everyone's expectations, I was like, God, just give me peace in knowing I know my truth or I know what I can do and I know what I can't do. But if everyone else feels that way, I'm sorry. And if there is an opportunity, change me. Right. So I can be more loving to Karen. Hmm. Right. Because I stopped praying for circumstances because there's this sense of unworthiness. It's like, who am I to ask to change someone else? where I know how wretched I am. So if anything, God, if you're going to change anyone, change me so I can be a better person or a better partner for Karen. Mm. And so that's, that's where Did I Did he was. answer that prayer? Did he change you in those uh, circumstances? <laughs> no. no. Uh, well, well, this is the thing, like, because I, I don't know, look, Richard, I don't know if we've got time for this one because this is going to open up a can of worms on this one. Uh, but it's, it's, it's I think this call. is where it's headed, man. I think this yeah, is okay, where it's, okay. Oh, okay, cool, cool. All right. So, by the way, like just a bit about me, it's like I saved myself till marriage, right? Yeah. And it's not because, let's be honest, it's not because I, it's not because I didn't want to. Because Granny 110, he brags about saving himself because he wanted to wait. But it was like, if he's not getting offers, <laughs> there's no offers <laughs> to accept. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know what? I didn't go to Harvard because I just. <laughs> You know what? It's not an Adventist school. That's why I didn't go to Harvard. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. So I waited. I saved myself. Like I pat myself on the back because yeah, I was yeah. able to wait with all the offers that I had to put. Nah, it wasn't yeah. about that, man. But there was a part Mine of me that was straight said, up fear. Mine yeah, was straight uh, up. Like I think I actually was sincere in that I didn't want to have sex, but I didn't want to have sex before I was married for the reason of I would let everyone in my family down. There was a chance for pregnancy. I wanted to be able to tell my children one day that I waited and there was some sincere sincerity, but it was fear based. I think. Yeah. 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 
I think for me, there was fear because we did come back, come from like a Catholic background. So there was about that fear of like, you know, dishonoring the family with that, that, that kind of stuff as well. But it was more of unworthiness of who, who could love or who could be willing to want to, you know, share that experience with me before marriage or whatever. And so, and I wanted to be a person of respect and integrity as well. Yeah, and I wanted absolutely. to like live up to that. So I, I, I was a, yeah. So the first time I, I, I had sex with, was with Karen and, uh, to be, to be honest with you, it was, I, it was not good because I was just riddled with insecurity and fear, yeah. fear of performance, fear of like, you know, I hope I'm doing this right fear of inexperience because I was completely, because even the intimacy with my, my previous partner was bad. Like it, it came from a place of she took. I didn't receive anything and it was because I was like, well, if this is all I'm going to get, I might as well be, I got to be grateful, you know, so I'll give her everything that she wants. And if she's willing to give me anything, then I'm happy to take it, but I don't need it. That kind of thing. Cause yeah, 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 it yeah. was just saturated unworthiness. Right. And so, but the experience with me and Karen was so bad that it, I, I, I didn't like it. And, and the, the thing about me is like, we, I didn't grow up in, like, I don't think it's a Catholic thing. I just think it was maybe my family's thing that we weren't really affectionate. Like in, like, I never saw my parents, like, like my, my mom was more like, like if my dad went to hug her kind of thing, she'd be like, kind of get off me kind of thing. I don't, there was no PDA in the family, right? right? None at all. And so like when me and Karen were dating, like, and and the funny thing is in my experience, I was frigid. I was shy. I was all of this and growing up in them. And what helped was when I'm in this relationship with my ex, it's all in secret. So we couldn't do PDA anyway, even if we wanted to. Right. So I was just not conditioned to be an expressive. This is how your mind works and thinks about these things. 100%. So me and Karen are dating, right. And she's getting angry. Like while we were dating, she was upset because she was like, people are asking me if we're friends. Like, we're supposed to be dating. Show me that you're dating. And I'm like, oh, okay. But I wasn't used to it. It was uncomfortable for me. Like, just holding her hand in public and all this kind of stuff. I was like, and so, but she, and this is like, you know, in regards to love language and stuff like that, her love language is physical touch, right? And so, and so I bought into that, that idea where it's like, well, uh, I gotta, I gotta show her and I gotta do this thing. And, but there was this, yeah. So it, it was really bad. Like, and for me, going back to this unworthiness is I will take what I can get in regards to if this is marriage and though my experience when it comes to sex and intimacy and stuff with my wife is bad, at the very least, it's not what I experienced. At least we love each other. At least we're supporting one another. At least God is here in this marriage and we're both surrendered to Christ in this marriage and we're, you know, and we're... we're at least that. And I was, I was saying, so if that's what, if that's what marriage is, if this, that's what happiness for me is in my marriage and the consolation or the, the kind of the payback or the thing is that we don't have a great sexual experience then I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm okay with that. She definitely wasn't okay with that. Right. Mm -hmm. Because, and I felt bad for her. I felt bad for her because I didn't want to. And there were a number of reasons why I didn't want to. And there was one particular time and I'm talking like we've been, we, we, we've been married to like close to 10 years now. Right. And it continued on through our experience, mm -hmm. right. Uh, through our marriage. And we went to, we went to counseling 
We went to couples counseling, uh, or we went to a therapist about specific to this. And the first one we went to, like, she was like, it's all your fault. Like pretty much telling me it was all my fault that I needed to do this and that. And I just felt bad. I felt like, yep, well, I got to do something. I, I, and then we went to the second, when we had our second, because Karen still wanted to do it. And I was like, okay, cool. We went to our second therapist and the therapist, I basically approached her and said, look, I'll do whatever I need to do to allow Karen to be satisfied in that area, but I don't need to. I'm all goods. Mm -hmm. But at least give Karen help me change or do something in me so I can give Karen what she wants to be satisfied in this marriage. Because I was like, if that's not for me, cause I've had mm -hmm. this experience, then it's like a, a limb that I'm happy right. to amputate. Right. That I'm like, I don't need it because I'm just happy with what God has given me. And I'm just grateful for that. Right. I saw, I saw this tweet. I think I saw today. Mm. And it was this sex therapist, this this Christian sex. I don't know if she's a sex therapist, but she writes a lot about sex. And it was like an argument on whether a man, if he doesn't perform well in in a, in a sexual experience, if he should show that he's ashamed, or if he shouldn't show that he's ashamed. And so they're like going back and forth with this banter on whether or not men should act like they are a stud, even if they, you know, nothing happened because the woman doesn't want to deal with man in that way, or if they should show, you know, show like may, they didn't do well. And, and so it's all this stuff. And I was just thinking, we're not dealing with the actual problem. Mm -hmm. And the actual problem is what you've been describing for the last, for this, this episode. Mm -hmm. And that is, unworthiness yeah if you don't believe you're worthy you're gonna live with this mentality and you've been describing it i'm mm. just going to take what i can get yeah. it's not living from abundance it's not going to the store and what you want is 100 and you have 150 mm -mm. it's going to the store and you have 50 and what you want is 100 and you're just like well i don't have what it takes so Oh, you give it to me? Well, I should just be grateful. And it's just a lack mentality, right? hundred. Like, so it's like, it's like me. You can't operate. <laughs> no, I'll approach the store with zero. And it's like that one that you give me, not even 50, whatever, that one that you give me, I will see it as 150 and I'll say thank you. Because I recognize that I'm still not worth the one that you gave me. Right? That's That's where it was, right? And so... So me and Karen are going through this, right? But this time around, when we go to the therapist, it's not about my problems and all this kind of stuff, but it's about our relationship. And it's about like, like we're able to communicate better. We're like, cut a long story short, there's this, there's this journey we go through that we can really be honest with one, with one another because all of this time, it seems like we were hurting each other to spare each other's feelings. We, hurt, we were kind of withholding information because we try to be kind and trying to, you know, all of this kind of stuff. And, and there was another thing, like, I guess it came to the point where I, to add to the unworthiness, right? I thought in my head, well, I knew there was an issue with me, right? I, 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 like in my head, I'm like, the problem is me, right? There's a problem that why don't you find your wife desirable? Why are you, cause you've got a problem. And I was like, 
in my head, I was like, do you, well, if you don't find your wife desirable, the problem is that if you're a man, you should see your wife a certain way. And if your wife doesn't look that way, then that's what's making you not being able, not, not be able to see her desirable. And so that whole thing of, um, well, Karen didn't look a certain way. So that was the only explanation. And so one particular year, I think it was in year four when we were married, because the issue was just throughout the whole uh, journey of marriage. I wrote her a letter mm -hmm. and in my, I would say in my foolishness, I said, the reason why I don't find you desirable or the reason why I don't feel that I'll be able to do this with you is because you put on weight. Mm. Because in my head, I was like, well, that's the only explanation. Because if a man finds a woman attractive because she fits a certain body type, then the reason why I'm not is because I don't see Karen that way. So, And it wasn't for me kind of putting the issue back on Karen or putting the blame on Karen. It was for me providing, trying to provide an explanation as to why. Right. But the way she received it, I broke her. That shattered her as if like, who wouldn't, who wouldn't feel that. And for me, I felt so once again, this whole thing of who are you granny 110, to say that to her. So, but for me, it was this kind of this, the, the release or the kind of thing for me was at least there's an explanation because there was a resentment building in her that because she didn't know why. And I was like, well, at least that she knows if there's this explanation, then at least it provides her with that. And so, so you guys are running around. And I know this very well, because this was my experience, both wanting to be enough for the other person yeah. and trying to convince the other person that you are enough while not believing it yourself. You want Karen to believe you're enough, even though there's things that you haven't like you want to show up in this way, but you haven't been able to show up in this way and in these different areas. And, but you want her to believe you're enough because yeah. you desperately your whole life wanted to be enough, but yeah. it just hasn't been the same way. And yeah. Karen on the other side is doing the same thing, wanting to be enough for you. And she feels rejected. And so if she feels rejected, it, it's not about something that you're misunderstanding or that you don't, you're not living. It's yeah. directly about her. And because you don't understand it, you tell her that it's her, but yeah. mean the in the meantime, in between time, it's both about not understanding who you actually yeah. are and yeah. your true value, your true purpose, and your true destiny. Yeah, yeah, and and so and it and now we're wrapping up, right? Now we're coming like to last month, right? Or in the last couple of months, all of a sudden, Karen starts listening to this podcast, right? <laughs> she starts listening to death to life podcast and we're still going through couples therapy and, and, and that kind of stuff. But, and we're still going through this journey and she starts like, she starts listening to people's testimonies and pe people's journeys and people being freed from sin and people like, you know, experiencing grace without the, the issue of efforts and works and all this kind of stuff. Right. And in the back of my head, I'm like, Hey, you finally come to the party. Right. Yeah. It's like, I'm glad for you. I'm glad that you're experiencing this. Did she just come out of nowhere and be like, yo, I heard this podcast today. It's kind of wild. Like, how did she present it to you? No, she started, well, she started listening to it first. And this was a, like, what I'm saying a couple months back, but she, what she didn't come and tell me, cause I think she was testing the waters as well. Cause she was coming, she came from staunch Adventism, right? Like heavy, strict kind of stuff where it was like, she would have to kind of 
like when I was kind of putting these ideas to her, right, or this idea of freedom and this idea of like she was like, mm, yeah, because you're new, like, or because you don't know. I've been in this thing for like 10 years or, or like, you know, my journey's long enough, but I'm coming from a different perspective. But she's like, no, 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 no. You need to spend a lifetime here. And once you do, then you'll understand why I'm going through this, right? And so when she starts listening to this kind of stuff, she starts telling me these things and I'm like, hey, that's cool. I'm glad. I'm happy for you. Because we were going through a talk about the, like I delivered a devotion, right? Because I was still doing ministry all, all, during this time, right? I do a devotion asking to the older brothers, because I always saw myself as the younger brother, the screw up, the mess up, the who, got, got, who came home. But to the older brothers, like this idea of slaving away, I was like, aren't you tired? Aren't you tired of slaving away? Like, what's the idea? Like, God never, the Heavenly Father never told you to slave away. Why is that? And I was like, and this was a few months back as well, but I, she didn't say anything to, she didn't say anything to me. But then when it was presented from the podcast, and there was like like-minded people. I think there was this thing was like, well, it's not coming from bees because bees is not a like, yeah, he's a new kid. He doesn't know. But like these are coming from people who were saying the same thing, but they're my people. Like they're the people who have been born, born and raised in this environment. And they're telling me like stuff like I don't have to, there's no effort in this and all this kind of stuff. So she's starting to listen to this podcast and she's, we start journeying together and I'm seeing a change in her. And this change is incredible, right? And this is coming in drops, like like golden, like manna from the sky, right? She comes out one day, she's bawling her eyes out, and she goes, God just showed me that I'm, her, I'm his daughter, right? And she's coming crying, right? Because she goes, yesterday I just, like, was the first time that I was praying in bed, and she was able to, like, she started crying because she said, my father in heaven, or my father, and she, it was only that moment she recognized and she related her, her father to the father on earth. Like the same thing that I did back 10 years ago when my father was still like cooking and taking care of me. Mm -hmm. Like that's when I did, I joined the dots. It's like she joined that dot two months back, right? And during this time as well, she's realizing she's like, I don't need bees to be my source of happiness. I don't need, like, and she's telling me this. She's telling me all these kind of things. And I'm, I'm hearing this thing. I'm like, so like, and like, I'm, I praise, I was praising the Lord. And so I'm starting to listen to these podcasts. Right. And I'm like, oh, wow, cool. We go to a wedding and like the wedding's like an hour and a half away. And so we listened to someone's, we listened to one of them and it was Morgan's. And I was like, I was just like listening to it. And I was like, whoa, this is, this is some really good stuff because it was about testimony. It was personal. It was like real. And so I was, I kept on listening. Then like I started, I, I, I think the change in Karen and just her openness and this her freedom and what I was seeing from her in that last couple of months, she was just experiencing joy. And I could see that the expectation that she was put on me, she put on me was kind of lightning and I didn't feel it. And I, uh, I went to, there was one therapy session that I just felt a prompting of the spirit that I was at, that we were just talking and our, our therapist was saying, look, there's a number of reasons why bees is like this. It could be because, because I was talking to her about my body dysmorphia disorder, like, you know, my insecurities, not like when I look at myself in the mirror, I don't like what I see, all this kind of stuff. And so if I hate myself, I loathe myself that much, then how could I 
possibly be seen as attractive to other people. And that's another performance thing and a confidence thing. And, and they were always saying like, well, what's it stemming from? Where's it coming from? And, and I was telling them like bits and pieces of my upbringing and all that kind of stuff. And I think something from in my heart was just like, to be honest and really honest. And there was a, there was something that just came from my memory. And it was basically when I was a child, there was a, like, I got a phone call. Like I was 10 years old. I was at home. My parents was at, were at work. And basically a guy called me up and it was a scam, but it, it wasn't like a money scam. Like I was there, I was, I had ice cream. I was eating ice cream. I was on the phone. And basically what he did was he kind of, he said it was like an initiation. There was like a rite of passage that I needed to go through and that my parents knew about it. And they, he was like the special like person that who did this to kind of yeah, to initiate this rite of passage. And then afterwards my parents would call me to make sure it went all, 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 all right as well. But that basically the phone conversation did what he did was, well, the therapist said he, it was sexual assault and coercion over the mm. phone. So he was kind of, he was telling me that I needed to do this, like these sexual, sexual acts, you know, on like, and on my mum. And, and it was really bizarre and really weird. And then he was telling me that this, and like, he was ex instructing me on how to like, you know, well, he was this teaching evil. me. Yeah. Oh, well, the, that, that I knew it was evil. Cause at the end of the conversation afterwards, cause he was like, he was kind of satisfying himself while he was on the phone with me. And this lasted like 30 minutes. Right. Because I was, and you're, like, how old are you at this point? I was about 10. I was like nine or 10. Oh, mercy. And I was just like, cause I didn't know. Cause half of me was like, he was so convincing that it was a real thing. But another thing was like, I, I don't like, it was making me feel uncomfortable. It was all this kind of stuff. The end, this is how I can tell it was evil because at the end he goes, do you know who this is? And I said, no. And he goes, this is Satan. And then he laughed and it was this laugh that I will never forget. And then he hung up the phone and, and what scared me even more is so right after that, my father calls me and I'm like, is this, was this real? Oh, and he so just wanted sorry. to check up on me. And when I told my dad what happened, my dad was angry but he was like in this place of incapable of doing anything about it. And so he just told me, he goes, you know, just tell him like, if ever that happens again, you curse, you cuss him out and you hang up the phone. And, and in my head, I was like, Whoa, my dad's teaching me how to cuss. He's, he's allowing me to cuss. Yeah. That's awesome. But I think that that was the catalyst of this kind of really negative, like framework of what sex was for me and it so it seems like when when this happens to people they take it personally and they believe they are dirty oh like, yeah oh i'm dirty because and and it's all from the enemy of your soul like yeah. you this was not your fault at all you're just a sweet boy on the phone enjoying ice cream and this assault takes place yeah you feel like it's your fault you feel dirty and then that goes into what else has the enemy been putting on? Yeah. You're unworthy, Granny yeah. 110. Yeah. And it's just like he's making a case for you to believe that yeah. you are whatever he says that you are. And I think, and this is like, when it comes to unworthy, this is how bad it was. I didn't, I didn't acknowledge officially what had happened to me as sexual assault. Because I was like, no, 
it's only sexual assault when it's physical. So I can't, I'm not worthy of that label as a sexual assault victim. And so my, the therapist, right. And this is where I know God had his, was kind of coordinating this because the therapist actually comes from sexual assault trauma as well as not Mm -hmm. only as a therapist for couples in that. And she was like, no, if, if that happened today, there's jail time, there's prison because of, of what took place. And then it had to take her and Karen to convince me and say to me, if this happened to your nephew today, what would you do? And would you consider that? And it was only then that I was like, absolutely, without a doubt, this is assault. But for me, it wasn't because it was like, no, because, and I was giving every excuse under the sun why it wasn't. But the residue or the aftermath of it of was, well, this is how unworthy I felt. And so during this time, it just spoke into this narrative of being just being unworthy. But but you got to understand, Richard, I had this relationship with God, right? And I knew that I his love covered my sin and covered my unworthiness. And so, and this is what's crazy. So I started attending Bible study, right? I started attending the internet Bible study and I meet you, I meet Elias, you know, I go to internet church, Karen starts going to internet church. I sit into internet church. I see Jonathan Leonardo from the, like from way back when I used to, uh, I saw him from the, with the soccer boys at early days and I'm start, I, I start joining this community and stuff like that. I start participating in these conversations and then it's not until it, it was it was crazy because during that time I'm I'm like I'm speaking, I'm learning, I'm listening to this. And the reason why I'm loving this community is because it's like when there were some times when I was in the my other churches, right? My, the church community I was part of, Karen's my church that Karen was part of. And I was kind of dropping these ideas, right? But it was this kind of thing of, you don't understand, you don't understand. But when I'm hearing like freedom from sin and like living life in joy and experiencing the fruits of the spirit now and all this kind of stuff, I'm like, yes, finally, here's a place to like understand. And I was celebrating. I was like, praise the Lord. So I'm like, I'm getting more into the, more into the podcast, listening to more. And then Karen gets invited to kind of do, do her one. And Karen shares, like Karen's like, yep, like praise the Lord, all goods. And then she goes to me, oh, by the way, Richard wants to talk to you. And in my head, it's like, am I, am I in trouble? Like, what, do you, what have you done? What have you said that he needs to talk to me? And that's, the, that's a conversation that happened two weeks ago, right? And then you said to me, bees, like, I have no doubt that you have a heart of God, but there is something that's keeping you from being free, like experiencing freedom. And I'm like, and in my head, I'm like, Richard, bro, like, I think I am. I think I've got it because... I'm happy, man. God has given me so much and I'm so grateful that why am I, I mean, I'm not needing anything because I'm trusting he's going to provide for me. And you got to understand, I'm just got to be grateful. I'm the three bags full guys. Like, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Because I'm just grateful. And I think that, and, and for me, I was like, I was experiencing joy. I was experiencing peace, but I, I guess, and what was, I was, re- what was really cool is that you were speaking to me with, like, I guess this brotherly love that I never doubted for a second that the spirit wasn't talking through you. Right. And I was like, well, if the spirit is saying to me, there's something missing, then there's something missing. Right. Because I've like, Richard, how long have I known you? Probably two and a half, two and a half, three, you know, max. And so I had to why think do about you it. Think, why do you think 
I thought that something was missing. To be honest with you, because I don't know. I honestly don't know because for me, maybe it was, maybe that, I don't know. Because I know you love your wife. Because I know that you love your wife. I know that you love God. But I also knew that you weren't living the way that you wanted to completely. Hmm. Because you're just taking, I don't even think that you had thought that you have a choice on living the way that you've always wanted to live. Complete selflessness. Complete sharing of who you are. And I didn't, obviously, I didn't know all of your story, what I've heard today. I heard what Karen had said in, the, in some of the background. But whenever, like, so for example, if you're, if you have the heart, so many people don't even have the heart to do this, to go to therapy and to say, well, let's take a look at something. Because if my wife thinks it's important, then it's important to me. Not very like a lot of people don't live that like that. <laughs> and then you, she tells me this whole story, and she says that yeah, B's allowed. You know, he said go for it, and I'm thinking, that's a man who loves his wife. So listening to her story, I'm like, this dude is crazy about her. He loves her. He would he would die for her, <laughs> but he's not living the way he wants to live. And there's something in between you loving your wife and really loving her the way that you've always wanted to. Mm, mm, That's the thing that I thought was missing. And then when she describes this story that you just said about this phone call, all of it is making sense. And now hearing all of this today, and and I don't know if you remember that I said this, Mm. but I said, Bees, if this wasn't happening it would be stranger than than if yeah. it did happen. Yeah. Because like the trauma, the all the stuff that we experience, if we don't grab a hold of this this fact that we mm. are healed, mm. well, all of the trauma is real. All of the pain is real. All of the unworthiness in our mind, oh, it's real in our mind. It's real in our experience. So yeah. why wouldn't that manifest? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And that's where I was stuck, you know. And but the thing is, like, and, and to make matters worse, right? It was like I was I really appreciated this community, right? And and this is how nuts it is, right? That I was like I was grateful. I'm grateful for this community. And then to have someone from the community say, "Bees, we're glad that you're here." but there's something missing in my head. I was like, well, maybe I'm not worthy to be in this community. Mm. Like maybe this community is not for me because, you know, because even because there's something missing and like it was, so it was, it was crazy because after that conversation, I'm just going into damage, like not damage control. Like I'm just thinking because I over, I, I think a lot and I like a process and that's what insecurity does, right? Yeah, it yeah, second yeah. guesses everything that you do. It's like, also what did the I do enemy wrong? Putting what? that thought in your mind. hundred percent. And this is the thing, right? I, and there's no doubt. And this is for me. I gave my life to God. I gave everything I had to God. 
right? And so for me, I even, I even preach sermons and stuff like that where it's like God has given me freedom that if there's a negative thought, I can capture that thought, right? In his name, hold it obedient to him. And if he wants to trash the thought, he will trash the thought. So I believed everything. So the faith that I had was like, if he knows what's good for me, he'll allow it to inc- come into my mind. He will do, like, he will filter out all that kind of stuff because I am grateful for what he's doing, right? So it wasn't a thing of, I would say, it was a place of, lacking confidence based on worth, based on my feeling of unworthy, because who am I to ask for anything more than what God is giving me? Who am I to actually, who, like, how, how, yeah, who do I think I am in my wretchedness, in my unworthiness, to be covered by Jesus Christ? He made the sacrifice for me, right? That who am I to ask for more than that? Like, bees, calm down, know your place. That's where I was. And these, these thoughts don't come in in sentence form. Like these are, this yeah. isn't like a rolling ticker at the bottom of your brain that is like, bees, you're not worthy. Da, 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 da. It comes in a form as just as a core belief yeah. that you're operating from and you don't even know that you're operating from it until you're not operating from it, right? Yeah. Cause this is it. Like if I was to paint this picture, I was the product of that idea of, you know, when I come, like, you know, when, 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 when Jesus comes again, I get to the pearly gates and God's at the, they're, they're like a bouncer at a nightclub. And he's like, okay, your name's not like, is your name on the list? And I'm like, yeah, my name's on the list. And he goes, because bees, you know that I need perfection in here. I need sinlessness here, right? Are you sinless? And I'm like, well, no. And I start looking around and then Jesus comes and stands in front of me, right? I preached this, right? And I heard this story, and it's Jesus is like, hey, don't look to him. Look at me. Look to me and look what I did for him. And it's like that's what kind of – and because God – because Christ covered me, right, and God's looking, look, looking at Jesus instead of looking at me, Jesus is now able to smuggle me into heaven, and then that's when I <laughs> get good. That's when I get righteous. That's where I get, you know, all the good stuff, right? Because back then I'm still living this life of, okay, bees, you're wretched, Right, God healed, like Jesus covered your sin, but at the core, you you understand you are covered, right? And so when Jesus is there, He's still covering you, and God is actually, you know, looking through you, not looking at you, but He's looking through Jesus. So that's where I saw myself, and I'm like, but at least I'm going in. That would mean that the blood really did not do what it was supposed to do. 100%. That would mean that the blood forgave you, but it didn't clean you. Yes. Yes. Now, this is the thing, right? <laughs> this is where the penny drops, man. I'm driving home, right? And this is like the very next day or two days after I have, we had this conversation. So I'm already doubtful. I'm like, what is going on? Hey, man, we got Bible study. You know what? I'm not going to say anything during Bible study. I'm just going to listen. I'm just going to be quiet. And because I don't want to think that if I say anything, it'll be wrong. This is what, what's going in my head now. Cause I'm just second guessing everything. Right. And I listen to, and I'm listening, I go back to the beginning of death to life. I start listening to everyone's and I get up to episode five. I listen to BB's, BB's, uh, her testimony, her story. And there's a part in the testimony as I'm driving home, right. That she starts saying like, she feels like in her unworthiness, she feels the love of God. Right. And to the point where she's like so overwhelmed with emotion that she falls to her knees and she starts to worship and starts to pray. And then her knees start to get sore. And then she's like, 
well, I've got to stay in this position because he's, because of what he's done for me. I've got to stay on my knees. Right. And then she hears this voice saying, get up off your knees. I've never asked you to be on your knees. Why are you there? Stand up. And then you asked her this question. And this is, this is for me. I'm, I'm one of those people where I'm like, you know how I said I experienced it first and then I need to know, then I need to know. I experienced this in my, in the car. I'm driving home and all of a sudden I'm feeling like physically, right? The spirit move. And it's like one of those. And I know, I know the feeling because I feel that I get cold or shivers and it could be like the hottest day, but I can feel chills in my body. And I'm, as I'm listening to this podcast, I'm listening to this. I'm hearing this and I'm feeling this. And that's the thing. Like in, in, in my mind, I'm saying to God, is this the missing ingredient? Is this the missing link? And then you ask her the question, do you have the righteousness of Christ or are you the righteousness of Christ? And I was like, what does that even mean? Like I've gone to like, you know, I've gone, I've gone to, you know, college and all the rest of it. I'm like, what are you talking about, Richard? Right. And then you said to him, like, you basically explained it in a way where it's like, there's a difference between being covered and Christ being in you and being seen as Christ. And I was like, whoa, hold the phone. Because if this, if this is it, this changes everything. This, if this mm. makes sense and this is true, then this changes everything, right? I get home and I start to... Why does it change everything? It changes everything because of this. Well, and, and, one, and one thing, and this is one, I think, secret, not secret. This is a critical thing that... Um, I forgot to mention that you, that we talked about, because for me, it was like, I have given everything to God. So it's not about faith, but there's something holding me back. And so we talked about like, well, if it is faith, what do you, what do you want God to do? And it's like, well, help me in my unbelief. And he goes, and then you said, well, pray on that. After we had that conversation, like, and I, like I prayed, I was like, Lord, I don't know what it is, man, but just help me in my unbelief. If there's a missing, if there's a missing link, show me what the missing link is. I start on that way. After I hear that, this, are you the righteousness or like, do you have enough? I start thinking about it. And all of these sermons I preached on the prodigal son, because that story was me. I am the prodigal son, right? All of them I preached. I started to reflect. And I'm like, well, what are the three gifts that the father gave? He gave the robe, he gave the ring, and then he gave the sandals, right? The robe, oh, he covered. Like he was naked, he was dirty, he was like that, and he covered him. And so I'm like, okay, cool. The second is the ring, and the ring is a signet ring. It's a, it represents adoption of restoration. And not just restoration, but it's rest restoration of status, right? And that's where the penny dropped. It's like, God, my heavenly father, not only robed me with righteousness, but he said, what I've done for you is I've restored you to who you were even before you left. Cause that's who I will recognize you to be. That's how I, that's who I see you to be. So why are you still living in the pig pen? Why are you still coming to me groveling, thinking that you're wretched? If I see you as the person that even like, even before you left, that's who I saw you to be. I saw you as my son. And I started thinking about that. And, and the more I thought about that, I, the more I started th thinking, there it is. 
Like I was saying, well, hang on, all of this time, I'm still thinking I'm in the pig pen. All this time I'm thinking I'm so unworthy because what I did, I did to God and God had to clean up my mess and Jesus had to come and clean up my mess and kind of cover me with, with my sin. And I had to deal with that wretchedness and unworthiness but still be grateful for him covering me. But God is like, bees, I've restored you. I keep no records of wrongs. I've loved you and... And it was the first time that it was like, well, if I'm seen as a person, if I'm seen as the son that never left, then when the, the prodigal son at the end of the, at the end of the story where he's talking to the older brother and he says to the older brother, my son, you are always with me. Everything, everything that I have is yours. It was the first time that I acknowledged that God was talking to me because hmm. if he was seen the older brother and the younger brother the same way. Jesus was saying to me, peace, you are always with me. Everything that I have is yours. So ask for it and ask for it as a prince and not a peasant. And when that happened, that feeling of unworthiness that I was carrying, that I've been carrying for so long, it was like he basically told me to get up off my knees. And he said, you are a prince, sit on your throne. And all of that, like in that moment, it was like, it was like anticipation, excitement, because it, was, it wasn't this thing of I'm experiencing it because it's true. It's this is a game changer if it is true, but it seems too good to be true. Mm. So I just wrote with it and I was just writing it. And the more and more I was just thinking about it. And I started, you know, it says, test and see that the Lord is good. I was throwing these ideas, but what about this? But what about that? And you do shutting it down. It's like, you are my son. I love you. Or everything that I have is yours. The ring, it means that you're back up, up to this. Don't ever think that you're still in the pig pen. Don't ever think that homecoming, you celebrate it because you are back and you've been restored. And then I started looking at the, looking at the scriptures in that story. And it says, my son was dead. Now he's alive again. My son was lost but now he's seen even the community around him the peasant that goes up or the the slave or the servant that goes to the older brother and says your your brother has gone home it's not the prodigal son or the kid that left it's your son so it's like i mean your brother so he's up there even the brother who hates him or resents him says this son of yours so the the status is fully being restored and i'm like the only person who doesn't acknowledge it is the younger brother because there's no, there's no place. But for me, it's, I have to, if everyone else sees it, I need to see it. If, but not even everyone else. If the Heavenly Father says it, then it is so. And if I'm the son, then that's where I am. And that's who I am. And I would say in that, in that time, and I was saying three days max, right? Because when it came to internet church on Saturday, I was completely in that. I was completely in this freedom where I was tell, like, tell me about you talking to Karen about it. Oh, well, <laughs> funny enough, I came home and our roommate was, was there and I yeah. started like kind of spitballing this idea with her first. And we had a DNM, uh, DNM and she like, you know, she was telling me this stuff, but as soon as I, as soon as Karen got home, I, th I, I said to her, I think I know what it was. I think I know what it is. And I think God told me. And I start saying this to her and we, so we got a dog, right? We start, we, t we take this dog out for a walk with this dog, Chunleo, Luna, we take her for a walk 
and I'm just saying to it. And it's like this idea that I'm timid in actually voicing or verbalizing what, what I am. But I'm, the more I'm doing it, I'm like, no, 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 this, this checks out. Like if I go to the scriptures, it checks out. In my experience, it checks out. What you've been going through, what you're experiencing, what you're saying, saying, I am the daughter of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I am loved and all of this. That checks out. So in my head, I'm like, the only person I'm fooling is me. And so we're walking this dog, man. And Karen, man, the way that Karen looked at me, it wasn't just with love. When I'm starting to come to this realization, but she's looking at me with this overwhelming sense of joy that she's like, yeah, you think you might have known it for all this time, but I think you're actually celebrating it now. And I was saying stuff like, because I like as soon as that happened, I started like I'm like I know what my daily devotion is going to be tomorrow, and I know what it's going to be. And I started putting this post, and the thing, the the thing that I said to her, I said, you know, I, I had a post that I was like, when I started, it, it was like, why are we groveling to what? Like, why are we groveling towards the throne room of God, where we should be sitting right next to it? Like, where, why would we be approaching the throne room of God groveling? We're in prayer when we should be sitting right next to it. And I was like, is that too bold? And Karen's like, no, but it's different. Like, cause for me, like the tagline for me now that now that I've experienced this and I've been restored and who I know him to be, I'm, I'm using the tagline of I'm, I'm unapologetically Royal hmm. because now I'm like, I'm never going to pray to God. I'm never going to see God as a peasant or as a person in the pig pen anymore. Because I know who I am. I know when that restoration and that adoption and that reclaiming, it's not that he's just reclaiming and saying that I'm a mess and he's going to deal with me later. It's no, you are my prized possession. You are, you, I'm going to restore you and you need to understand that's how I see you. So see yourself through those eyes. And I'm, st- and I, and I tell, I'm telling you, Richard, I'm learning how to walk again, man, because I'm walking with now a confidence in who I am that I'm checking, I'm checking because, and this is a dumb example, but I'll give you an example. I have a Christmas list because we're coming up Christmas and I've got Christmas gifts, right? And my list is very long. And I used to think, well, the reason why me and Karen have got Christmas list, long Christmas list is because we're generous and we're caring and we're loving people. But there's a lot tied to that. And it's, oh, I want, I need to give them a present so they know that I'm their friend and they know that like, you know, because I'm, I'm worthy to be their friend. And so hopefully by me giving them a gift, they could recognize that, that like, you know, that I'm still important to them. Now I'm not giving anyone. No, it's not that I'm not giving anyone a gift, but my approach to giving people a gift is not you coming. You saw your motive of, was all whack. It was completely skewed. It was completely warped. And the thing that I'm learning and what I mean by I'm learning to walk again is that I'm saying, well, if that was just for Christmas, Right? What about for work? What about for life? What about for my relationships? Because the problem was that I would say that God, though God gave me a character of being the nice guy, Satan capitalized on that and he corrupted that to the point where it's like you will need to be, you're going to be so insecure and so unworthy that you will try and sap anything from anyone and say thank you. Right? And so now God's come in and flipped that where it's like you are going to, you're going to proclaim that you are unapologetically royal, man. You know who you are and go and celebrate who you are. And so. <laughs> I hope when you look in the mirror, bro, I hope when you look in the mirror, you see Christ in you, the hope of glory. I hope you see 
a prince. Like that you can look in the mirror and say, that guy is a good looking guy that is loved by God. God made him this thing. God made him in his image. And I am the aroma of Christ. Mm. When I walk in the room, Christ walks in the room because Christ is in me. Not that I am Christ, but I am crucified with him. It is no longer I who live, but Christ that lives in me. And to carry yeah. that kind of unapologetically royal attitude that yeah. because you see yourself for who you actually are, then you see Karen for who she actually is. 100%. And you see everybody else for who they actually are. But seeing yourself that way first, yeah. if you don't, then then you're just unworthy, right? Hundred, And that's the thing. What I notice now is that like, I'm still going to therapy and we're doing this thing to help me like, you know, like, con like continue to kind of, uh, heal from like that, that, that previous experience. And it's like, but it's coming from this place of, and I'd say in a, in a short, uh, in a, in a short example, it's like, when I look at myself in the mirror anymore, I don't hate what I see. Praise like, it's Lord. not a thing of, I'm not, I'm not picking because like, Body dysmorphia disorder or something. It's like you'll spend hours in front of the mirror, right? But it's, you're picking away everything about you to the minute detail. You don't like this. You don't like this. And like, you'll scrutinize everything about you. Me, I walk past the mirror and I'll be like, Hey, <laughs> and I'll hey. walk, you know what I mean? And I, 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 and for me, that though, that might seem insignificant. That's leaps and bounds to where I used to be. And it's because I'm slow. I'm understanding. That I'm unapologetically royal. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm fully healed. And so when it comes to this idea, it's like Christ is not covering me. Christ is standing side by side. And the spirit of God that's in him is the spirit, same spirit that's in me. And so that's what I claim, that I am my own person, but I can stand up because of what Christ has done in uh, for me and Christ being in me and I being in Christ. So that's what I celebrate now. And I celebrate with confidence. And, but it's, it's, yeah, it's just, it's not, but it's, and I'm learning that all over again. Oh, and it's going to keep, so this is what the job of the Holy Spirit is to minister to you this truth. Because if you, if you read first Corinthians two, it describes the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It says what no eye has seen nor ear has heard. Like we under like it's this idea that nobody understands how great God is. But then the mm. next line is, this is what he has revealed to us through the Holy Spirit. Mm. So the Holy Spirit isn't wanting to keep a mystery a mystery. It's a mystery to the world, but the mystery has been revealed to us, and it's this, Christ in you, the yeah. hope of glory. The mystery is that you died with Christ and you've been resurrected with Christ. The mystery is that he lives inside of you now and that your past is destroyed and the newness has come. Mm. that's the mystery and that's what the Holy Spirit is ministering to us. And so yeah. when you pray to God, help me with my unbelief, I want to see this thing, he answered that prayer by the Holy Spirit ministering to you the work of the cross. This is the fact. Yeah. You've always been son. Before mm. the foundation of the world, he had you in mind to be holy and blameless before him. And in love, he predestined you for adoption to himself through Jesus Christ. And that was the purpose of his will. This Amen. has been the plan all along, bro. Yeah. And now, and so when you say, I'm still going to therapy or I'm still like, you know, what it is, is this just being re revealed more and more. It's yeah. not that it's not true and it's becoming true. It's that it's always been true. And now that truth is being revealed to you and you're setting your mind on that truth. 100%. That's exactly it. 
it's like me working within this new, brand new framework of, okay, this is what's, this is my reality. This is my truth. This is my new world. Let me just be in my new world now. And yeah, <laughs> since that point in time, like since that journey, I know that like things are, things are actually like the spirit has, like, it's crazy, man, because I, the way that I pray now, I'm praying like a prince, man. Not out of arrogance or entitlement, but it's like, Lord, you are my heavenly father and I have a relationship with you and you love me. And so I'm going to ask you for these things. Like, and, but if, if I don't get it, okay, all goods. But I'm confident enough now that I can approach you and ask, at the very least, ask you. And, and he's like, well, yeah, that's where I want you to be. That's because that's who you are. And like, that's changed. That's changed my prayer life. That's changed my relationships. So back in the day, it was like, I'm confident because I'm trying to convince you that after uh, under all these layers of insecurity and all this kind of stuff, at the very least, you'll understand that what I portray is I'm a nice guy. So get to know me and you'll get to know that I'm a nice guy. And I will show you and I'll try to prove to you how much of a nice guy I am because uh, I need that. I want that. That's that's what the relationship's about. Me trying to prove to you how much of a nice guy I can be for you and to you, Right. But now, but it was, it was riddled and it was kind of on the foundation of insecurity and just wanting to be liked and wanting to be seen as worthy, but knowing that I couldn't be. But now it's different that though people externally might not see a change in me because I'm always like, I'm, I'm just coming out and Hey, this is bees who I am, blah, blah, blah. Now I know who I am. And I, <laughs> and, and that's changed. Oh. That's made a world of difference for me. Bro. It's it's like before you were a nice guy because God gave you that temperament and you wanted people to like you. Now yeah. it's like you're a kind man, like you're a gentle man. Now you're like, it's legit. You're the real deal because now you believe in the heart that he actually gave you. So you can be confident that you're this thing, not because you tried real hard, but because he made you that thing. And if he made you that thing, well, we're going to be confident in that. Yeah. And the thing is for me, there's the, that doesn't cost the thing. And what I mean by that is there is no price that I'm putting on that. It's like, I will show you that I'm genuine and kind and all this, but the, what you're going to give me is, you know, your friendship and your, your belief that I'm a nice guy and you wanting to have this relationship. Now it's, no, I know who I am and this is what I'm going to give you period. No expectation, no nothing. Right. Like, and I, cause I know my worth and I know who I am. And it's going that one step further than if you're going to reject it and even spit on it, that's, that's all you, man. I'm still going to love you anyway, but and I'm not going to allow you to impact me. And like, I ain't granny one ten no more. I'm bees, man. Let's and, go. And I'm RIP uh, <laughs> granny one ten. That's exactly right, man. That is exactly right. And this is the beginning of spiritual maturity. Yeah. It's like we've arrived at the beginning and that the beginning is the end for Jesus Christ. So our lives are now a victory lap mm. from what he has done. Yeah. And it's the beginning of us growing in truth. Yeah. And we're just going to be unapologetically Royal and just, yeah, just do this thing, bro. Yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> let me ask you this and then I'll let you go. You get to go back. You get to go back to the coffee shop or the cafe. Yeah. And, Right before Anna says this thing to you where you're feeling like you're, you, you couldn't possibly be loved by anybody. If you get to pull that, that young man aside 
who was really trying to do well in school, but not really, really didn't know doing stuff for his parents. You get to pull that young man aside. What would you say to this guy? Oh, man. I would say to him that you are loved by a king. You are valued. You were created with that value and that worth inside of you from the beginning. You didn't start from the outside. You started at home. You started in the palace. And if you ever decide to go and wander away like I did, know that the father's always going to be waiting for you to come home. And when, you know, when you come to your senses and you come home, don't ever think for a second that you need to work. And because that's where I was, I would thought, well, if I'm going to, I've got to work back to prove, you know, because though you might understand the concept of grace, though you might understand that Jesus Christ paid for, paid the price for you so you could come back home, it doesn't end there because in that point, it leads to this groveling unworthiness. But know that when you come home, accept the robe, accept the ring, because the ring will remind you that you are—you have been restored to who you were and who you were seen to be even before you ever separated from him, that you are the son of a king, that you are a daughter of the king. And the sandals represent that you don't work, that you don't work back. You don't try and prove. You just be and celebrate your homecoming and know who you are. Be unapologetically royal. And then when you approach your heavenly father, Expect the result or expect the response that you will hear in Luke chapter 15, verse 31. And he says, my son or my daughter, you are always with me. Everything that I have is yours. Know that that's who you are and who he sees you to be. Don't think yourself as anything less. You are unapologetically royal. So live in that lifetime and live in that reality. Thanks for coming on, man. Oh man. <laughs> nah. I love you, bro, and I love this what this community and what this has done for not only my life but my wife as well. We are going from strength to strength because of what God has done uh through this ministry but in our lives as well and I'm I'm eternally grateful, man. It's just gonna be more, brother. Amen. It's only you, it's only me. Waking up to a memory Your love is all I need It's only you, it's only me Waking up to a memory Your love is all I need I feel it